Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm your host, Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we have a Pat show in store for you tonight. We're going to be talking MLS. We're going to be talking CPL. We're going to be talking retirements. We're going to be talking awards. It's going to be very much talking about Canadian soccer. But in this first part, we're starting things off with a look at the two MLS conference finals. It's all set, Zach. There's not going to be a new name on the MLS Cup. I was rooting for Minnesota. Lots of Whitecap connections there, some Canadian connections there as well. It would have been nice, a Minnesota-New England final to get that Canadian connection going for both teams. But instead, we've got a battle of Cascadia. (laughs) Kind of. It is Brian Schmitzer's Seattle Sounders and Caleb Porter's Columbus Crew. In Columbus, next Saturday afternoon, we'll get into all of that final setup in a little bit. Let, let's just get into to talking about the semi-finals. The first one, Eastern Conference semi-final on Sunday. Not really a, a lot to talk about from this one. We we said in our preview show for those of you lucky enough to be extra subscribers that we thought it was going to be a cagey affair. It was settled by the one goal. Our tour in the 59th minute, and I think in the the end, Columbus were de- deserved winners in that one, Zach. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, like yeah, like you said, cagey affair is a good way to desc- to describe it. Um, it. Yeah, it had the feeling of being yeah, one goal is going to win it kind of game, and uh, but I mean, New England full credit to them for getting as far as they did, and I think you saw. And we talked about it lots, but I think you saw the advantages of having a um, well-experienced and proven winning coach in MLS, like a Bruce Arena, and what he can do mm-hmm. uh, in terms of propelling a side forward. Because um, I really, I really think he played a significant role in, in them getting to uh, to where they did in top. Yeah. I mean, it, like we've joked about the the phrase of you've got to play to your levels. He had them playing some of those guys above their levels. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, we're we're heavily invested and interested in this. But he he also um, 
stuck with the Canadian kid. I was is Tejon Buchanan. Buchanan, yeah, okay. Um, I'm terrible at pronouncing his first name. Um, but yeah, he stuck with Buchanan. There was, I think, calls earlier this season, even if it was just locally, for them to maybe not um, keep for him to not keep playing him because he wasn't quite producing the the final product earlier in the year. But Bruce was uh, kind of adamant, and uh, I think saw something in him, and they got quite a bit out of him. And uh, hopefully, he can uh, keep kicking on and and keep developing. And um, yeah, hopefully that's good for Canadian football. <laughs> football. But um, yeah, I mean, Caleb Porter on the other side is also uh, an experienced coach uh, in um, in the state of Ohio, of course, with Akron. Not so great with <laughs> with the Olympic team for the states. And then, of course, in, in, in Portland. And so... Yeah, MLS uh, Cup winner. Yeah, in Columbus, against Columbus, on a goal that would not have counted nowadays, but... Um, yeah, but, he, he could become the first head coach to win an MLS Cup in the same city with two different teams, maybe. After yeah. looking at that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, full credit to him and uh, his players and... Uh, full credit to the ownership group who uh, bought uh, the team and the local people for supporting the team. And it's really a shame. I know we were joking about it in, in our chat, but the 1,500 people in the stadium didn't yes. look at the place for a game in Columbus. Yeah, it just looked like a normal crew game. I was like, oh, I thought there was a pandemic on. Oh, they're sitting a, a bunch of seats apart. Oh, that's normal. <laughs> that's normal. Um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, um, like, so happy for those people uh, yeah. like, and the longtime fans and for this new, these new owners who, um, uh, you know, saw the value in keeping the crew in Columbus and uh, so yeah, really happy for them. And, and obviously, obviously everyone here at AFTN, except for maybe you, Michael is hoping that they go on and win it. <laughs> oh no. I hope that they go on and win it. Not okay. a big fan of Caleb Porter, but I, I hope that they go on and win it. I mean, need- you need to spend more time with Caleb. He's a nice guy. I'm sure he is. I mean, Robo spoke very highly of him, so yeah. I, I'm sure he is a, a, a nice guy. I, like to, to be fair, like any time I've spoken to him, he's been very cordial and he's like he's been a, a, a good guy to speak to. I think it's just his on-screen persona, and because he was with a rival and just kind of the, the some of the stuff that went with him over the years, I think that was maybe why. But I mean, there's been so many good stories in these playoffs and these conference finals on the playing side, you've, you've got like to John Buchanan and then you had like Dean St. Clair t- tonight, but like Columbus as a team is certainly one of those feel good stories. The fact that they nearly lost their team, they, they nearly went to Austin. Now they've got a chance of winning an MLS cup before an Austin team is even in MLS. So good. I mean, that for the fans is just absolutely wonderful. To, to even just get this far for those fans, it's just, it's wonderful. It's a just reward for everything that they went through because they went through a lot of shit. And yeah. that should never, ever be forgotten. No. Like with Austin getting in, folks maybe moved on a little bit, but that should never be forgotten. And that situation should never be allowed to, to even possibly arise again. I agree. But that is the, the Eastern Conference finalists and now the hosts of Sunday's, or Saturday's, MLS Cup. Who are they going to play? I think pretty much 
nearly everyone of a Vancouver persuasion would have been rooting for Minnesota in this one. They're playing Cascadian rivals. They've got lots of former Whitecaps connections. You've got Jose Aha on the bench, Kai Kamara coming off the bench, Michael Boxall starting the game, Stuart, Stuart. Kerr, goalkeeping coach, who Adrian Heath described after their semi-final win as being the best goalkeeping coach in the country, primarily for the, the work that he had done with, with, with St. Clair and, and yeah. bringing him on. I mean, this game was absolutely fantastic. And as disappointed as I was for Minnesota losing that, giving up a two-goal lead, going down to a 3-2 loss with a basic last-minute winner for Seattle, you've got to give full credit to Seattle. The way that they fought back, never say die spirit. They had a goal ruled out for offside, or not offside, but for a, a shoving box all. They rattled one off the post. They could have had a penalty in that second half. We'll come to all those kind of things. At the same time, they could also have had O'Neill sent off for a tackle in the first half. So there's like swings and roundabouts there. But overall, great match. Fantastic advertisement, I thought, for MLS sack. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, you had your, your pleasure of uh, cascading pleasantries all over the Flanders. Um, so let's counterbalance that. This this is one of the one of the ways that uh, you talk about an advertisement for the league. This is one of the ways the league really sh- shows their favoritism to, to certain teams and and hurt. yeah. Let, let, let's say on pitch product from an entertainment point of view then was a good advertisement for okay. the league. Yeah, there were a few other things around this match that yeah. were not good because the fact that they moved that. Um, the uh, oh, what do you call? It? I would call it the quarterfinal. Yeah, I would as well. Auburn but technically, the Western semi. Yeah, the fact that they moved that for TV reasons only uh, to make more money uh, hurts the competitive uh, aspect of the league. Like it was, it's such a joke that they moved that reason just to make more TV money, giving Seattle a two-day, uh, two extra days rest. And I mean, arguably three, because Minnesota had to travel as well. Exactly. I mean, no wonder. I mean, it's, it, no. I mean, credit to Seattle for, I guess, scoring the goals and actually doing it. But like, yeah, uh, Minnesota was knackered, right? Yeah, like they, absolutely. They were, they were exhausted, and I just feel so bad for them. I feel bad for, yeah, for all of them, the players, the coaches. I feel bad for our friends like Boxy and 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 Kai, and yeah, I. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a trav, it's a travesty like that. The fact that this has been allowed to happen in this way, like that, people like the players' union, like people, you can't let let the league do do crap like that. Like you just can't. Like so, someone has to stand up to to this kind of stuff. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets raised tomorrow. Don Garber's giving a state of, of the the league address. I, I've submit a question I'm hoping to ask around about the Canadian teams. If that already gets asked, I might maybe jump in with that one instead and just say, how can you justify it's such an unbalanced year in general? Yeah. I think they would try and make the semifinals as balanced as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt for Minnesota, I jumped on the call with Adrian Heath afterwards. I just, I didn't ask him anything because I'd, when it was 2-0, I had about three or four questions, great questions I was wanting to ask him about various things. 
none of them really seemed appropriate to ask then uh, at, at this point over after a defeat. And he described himself as being shell-shocked and he looked it. He looked stunned. He looked visibly upset and shaken. He said before the game that he felt a worry that his players would be tired. And he said during the game, they were tired, they were gassed, and it's like it, it was clear they were running out of steam. Interestingly, I then jumped on the, the Seattle call and I listened in on the chat that they had with Gustav Svensson and Will Bruin. Your buddy. Guys, yeah, two guys coming off the bench and, and scoring goals. And they were asked, did you feel Minnesota tiring? And they said that was the halftime team talk. They were said, look, they're tired already. You up the tempo in that second half and you'll get back into this. And that's exactly what they did. I think on the balance of play, Seattle did probably deserved the win. But to lose that way, and like fair credit to Svensson and Bruin, they said they felt really bad for Minnesota to lose that way and acknowledging that they had the, the extra two days. I also think it was quite classy at the final whistle. I don't know if you picked up on that or other folk picked up on it. Final whistle goes and the Seattle bench is obviously joyous and celebrating, but Schmetzer's telling them to calm it down because he hadn't gone over and shaken hands with Adrian Heath yet. And I yeah. thought that was actually really, really classy, Schmetzer. Yeah, I thought the best moment of the night was when uh, MLS got, was all premature there with their confetti. Oh, I missed that. I didn't I didn't hang around the pictures for that. Oh, they, they put on the confetti before the trophy was handed out. So when the trophy went out, there was a note like the confetti was all down and yeah. It was... Oh, superb. There's a clip going around the UK at the moment of some English town who are switching on their Christmas lights and the two, the mayor and the head of the council's there to push down the big plunger and they're slowly pushing it down. But it's clearly not attached to anything because they're not even all the way down when all the lights come on behind them. So I guess it's a little bit like that. But yeah, I mean, let, let's get into just a couple of little bits of the match that I want to talk about. So Minnesota went up. I mean, I thought they played a good game and it was a very open end-to-end game in the opening moments. I, I didn't think it would be a, as open as that. But then you've got the tackle at Shane O'Neill. And from his tackle, gives away a free kick. Emmanuel Reynoso, brilliant free kick, on fire in these playoffs, makes it 1-0 in the 29th minute. Should O'Neill have stayed on the pitch, though, Zach? Because he did seem to go right through him and his studs were up. I mean, I think all the flounders should be sent off. So, yeah. (laughs) Dirty, dirty flounders. Yeah. Second half, Morris hit the post with a screamer of a shot that left St. Clair standing. And then ball was in the back of the net. Yeah. Rui Diaz, a little elbow into the back of Boxall that knocked him over. I thought right away it was going to get called back, but I was just worried again because it's Seattle. Was it, would it be deemed as clear and obvious? How much of a push was it? If it had gone either way, I could have seen a case argued for that, to be honest. If they'd let the goal stand, yeah, maybe. But I think yeah. the right decision was to, to call it back. Yeah, you had to call it back. It was always um, always a push in the back. Like you can say Boxer goes down early, but you can't you can't have contact with the defender um, 
in that in, in that way. Uh, and, well, and I then, thought it was a shoulder charge initially, and I was like, "Oh, come on, physicality is part of the game." But then you see it, and it's definitely an elbow. Yeah, and just to, just to go back, I just looked at it one more time. Yeah, O'Neill should have been sent off. Mm-hmm. O'Neill only Ishmael Elfath would keep him on the pitch. That I don't think was actually asked to to Heath afterwards. Um, again, it's hard. It's hard for coaches to come and speak to the media yeah. and give insightful answers after a game like that. Because I mean, I, I'm wanting to ask him you know, two two things. I really want to ask Adrian Heath about his season. Like, when did he know that this team was going to be kind of a special team this year? They won their first two games, and then you've got the big break. Then they did well in Orlando. So, at what point did he know that this team? out of his four seasons in charge with the team that could do it. But right after a game that they've just lost like that, that's not a time to, to get a good answer. But I'm also, I'd love to get his his thoughts on the fact he's had four years in Minnesota. His first two years didn't make the playoffs. Now, if that was back home in England for him, he'd have been gone. But he was given time to build a team, made the playoffs in year three, crashed out in the first round, but now he's taken a further step. And for all the folks at MLS, that is something I do like about over here and in general, the CPL as well. I know there's been a couple of changes there as well, but I do think managers get time to actually build something with their squads. Yeah, yeah, I feel, because yeah, he... His time at Orlando, I forget how many years he got at Orlando, right? Season and a half in MLS, because I think it was midway like, through it was like the like Orlando. Uh, he, I felt like it felt like he didn't get enough time there in, in MLS. Obviously, he was there before MLS. Um, uh, but, yeah, so, no, you're right. It is nice to see uh, coaches actually have time to actually build a squad and kind of go from there. And, yeah, the Canadian Premier League, you're right, there have been changes, but I think – I think all those changes have been valid. Yeah, very and, right choices. Yeah, and but you you also see the intent of what the clubs are doing, and yeah, uh, but yeah, if you, I'm I'm not like the number Adrian Heath's number one fan by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, I it's it's good been good to see his side um, uh, do well and uh, pr- progress this this year the way they have. Now after the the goal. It was called back from Rui Diaz. Minnesota went two up in the 67th minute. Debassi, who up until the, the late comeback was, for me, the man of the match because yeah. defensively, he put in a hell of a shift. He was throwing his body at balls and blocks and he great, and then he made them 2-0 up. And at that point, I thought, yeah, they're looking comfortable, but I was concerned. I know most dangerous leading football. But I was concerned that if Seattle pulled one back, that they would have enough to take it to extra time. I didn't think for a minute they were going to get three goals, but they did pull one back. The subs certainly changed it up. Will Bruin pulls one back in the 75th minute. Little bit of fortune. He didn't know too much about the ball bouncing about, but he took it well, which is what you want an experienced veteran striker to do. And then after that, it it was all Seattle. They, they sensed blood. They knew they could get back into the game. They were kind of patient doing it. And then Rui Diaz gets the, the tying goal in the 80, 89th minute. And I did then at that point think, you know what? With four minutes of stoppage time, I really wouldn't put this past Seattle. 
It was a great winning goal by Svensson, another good corner, great delivery. But, it's, I mean, you felt for Minnesota, we've talked about that. Weird as well. Can, as much as we don't like Sounders fans, and I'm sure there's a few of them that listen to this, and we, we do have some friends down there, Stephen Egan. I had a quick chat with him in the in the DM of the, the Zoom call when I was on that post-game, just wishing him all the best. But for any fans to be deprived of that moment and that game, it is a bit tough. Can you imagine, like whether, if it was Bayern, if it was the Whitecaps, if it was Canada, Pacific, to be at a game where you've come back like that, it, it is phenomenal. I, I've been at one with, with East Fife when we were 2-0 down with about actually 15 minutes to go and we scored two goals in stoppage time at Gretna to to win the game 3-2. Sparked a mini pitch invasion as well. <laughs> but I mean, that's the kind of games we, we wrote a song about it to, to sing about. And it's like, that's the kind of games that stick in your head and I do feel sorry that the fans weren't there to, to experience that, really. Yeah, there's a few fans, a uh, few people in Seattle that I feel bad for in, ter- in terms of that. But again, it, 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 the last 10 minutes or so, it, it, it felt like they were playing with an extra player on the pitch, partly because Minnesota was so tired and partly yeah. because you're right. Uh, Seattle, yeah, tasted the blood in the water and was, was, was going for it. Um, I mean, Minnesota, one thing about Minnesota that you can say is um, – yeah, I mean Seattle. I mean, obviously, without question, Seattle is the 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 more quality, deeper football club. Uh, you know, and they play the better football, and they have the more skill and the more talent. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, so it was it was interesting, or to to, to form or, or to that. Both of Minnesota's goals, of course, come from dead balls, right? Um, now, of course, one of was it one or two? Two of Seattle. I guess two of Seattle did also as, as well. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I found that kind of kind of interesting. Um, Will Bruin is yeah. He was brought on to do that very thing, right? Uh, and and then Rui Diaz again, a little too open at the back post. Like, oh, like how yeah. how open can you leave? Like the best. I know. Yeah, but possibly the most dangerous guy in the pitch. For, for either team. Yeah, and Svensson's run was also unmarked, right? Like it was yeah. zonal marking or whatever. And yeah. But. Yeah, they're gonna the defense are gonna watch that back. Like that that was one of the questions I had for, for Adrian Heath when it was 2-0. I was gonna say that's four games now with, without uh, a clean sheet. Oh sorry, four games with a clean sheet to, to round off the season and, and the playoffs. Can you say a bit about your defense? And then yeah. <laughs> That, that happened, and it's like, yeah, obviously won't mention the defence to, to him in the call. You should have brought an old, old Jose Aja, eh? Yeah. I mean, if you can't win with Whitecaps defenders, who can you win with? If you can't win an MLS Cup before him with Whitecaps, who can you win an MLS Cup with? Oh, difference makers like Rui Diaz. Okay, right. That, that's, that's who. Let's get into quickly looking ahead to Saturday's final. It's five o'clock Pacific time that it is kicking off. And joyfully, we talked about this on the Extra podcast, Columbus are hosting by 0.01 in the points per game ratio. That does bring a smile to my face, I've got to say that. That is so MLS. Hey, is Egan able to go? 
Remember he I, had the exam? Yeah, I, um, I was going to ask him if he was going, but then I, I left the call because I was still yapping away and I wanted to get this started with us. So I'll, I'll shoot him a, a, an email to, to see if he is going. If he isn't, we'll maybe get him on our, our post-game show, hopefully to laugh at him for his tears. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Looking at the standings, you, you could say they're eeksy-peeksy, but then at the same time you can't because this season... It's impossible to say what teams are like. Columbus finished with 41 points, 12 wins, 6 losses, and 5 draws. Seattle, 11 wins, 5 losses, and 6 draws, 39 points. It's all going to really be whose difference makers turn up on the day. Mm-hmm. I think Seattle have to head into those favourites. Yeah. And what they did today is just going to give them a massive, massive boost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they will by far be the favorites in this game. Um, And I think Caleb Porter will use that to his advantage. You know, the whole underdog, the us versus the world, the MLS will want Seattle to win because they're a bigger community and a bigger club and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, hopefully uh, Caleb can use it to his advantage to motivate his players. Uh, to get them in the right frame of mind to go in and to execute what will hopefully be a, a, a good game plan to stifle Seattle's attack and to uh, expose uh, expose them uh, at the back. I hope it's an exciting game. I hope it's not another cagey affair because in finals you don't really like that. Still, a 1-0 Columbus win would also be just be what the doctor ordered. That would make you cock a hoop, wouldn't it? It would. I, my cock would be hooped. I've got to say that. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens in that. We'll be bringing you a show after it. I was talking to Steve tonight, actually. He had talked about us maybe doing, I know you can't do this, side, but maybe doing a live watch along. So we'll maybe see if there's a couple of the, well, the others. that I, I can join for a watch along. It's just I have a thing at 7 o'clock right after, so I can't do... A live post game. Oh, okay then. We could maybe do a little fun watch along then. I just I I so I can join at five. I gotta leave like probably right at seven. Okay. I gotta, well, I gotta play I gotta play Zoom Santa Claus. I, I know that sounded exciting. I was telling Caitlin about that and we were very it almost made us want to go and drop some presents off so we could be part of it. But I didn't think anyone would want a, a Glory Days of Gold East Five podcast face mask, but no, you never it, know. It's a Lego thing, man. <laughs> AFT hey, like, have you ever finished building that thing? No. You're stuck in your house. Build it. I, I, if only we had more time. <laughs> we'll get around to that. Last thing we're going to talk about in this part, last thing we're going to talk about MLS really tonight is Monday saw the award. The Landon Donovan Most no. Valuable Player in MLS Award. How do you not throw up in your mouth a little when you say that? <laughs> I know. Hey. Landon Donovan's a hero after what he did this year. Remember? Yeah, that, that, that's all. That's all well and good. It's Landon Donovan, the player that was not enjoyable. Yeah, that's true. We talked about this when we were talking about MLS awards and stuff, and we said Diego Rossi was the guy that's going to get it. I said Walker Zimmerman was maybe in with a, a shout as well. So the top four were. In fourth place, I'll just get this back up here, shut it down. In fourth place, Philadelphia's Andre Blake ended up with a 4.91% of the votes. In third place, 
George, actually, it's the top five. So fifth place was Blake. Fourth was Morris from Seattle with 8.49%. Nicholas Ladero from Seattle, 18, no, 10.58%. Having a nightmare reading this out. Second place was Diego Rossi with 17.8%. Now, he got the most votes from the players at nearly 23%, but he got the least votes from the club and the least votes from the media because the winner, runaway, really, in terms of media voting, he got 48% of the media votes, 30, 36% basically of the overall votes. TFC's Alejandro Pozuelo, who did 10 assists and nine goals this year. Much was made of the fact that poor old Toronto not being able to play in Canada and all that they went through and for a player to produce like that, which is true. But I didn't hear a lot of people saying poor old Vancouver or poor old Montreal over the, the course of the season, but I guess I guess it's different there. I hadn't thought of Pasuelo honestly, to, to be in the mix for it. I was a bit surprised that he had won. But when you actually see the stats that he put up and the fact that they weren't playing any home games, well, apart from the Canadian series, it's not too, too bad an award. Yeah, I thought he could lose lose the, the award for that horrible penalty that co- almost cost him the Voyager <laughs> Cup and cost him a goal. That's your MVP, uh, ladies and gentlemen. There's, yeah, there's someone you should put that clip out with MVP. <laughs> That's a gift that needs to Oh, go. yes. I wonder if anyone's done that. If not, I'll work on that tonight. Um, man, yeah. Oh. Uh, I mean, I understand why they gave it to him. Uh, I think it's shocking that you just read five names, the top five vote getters, and Walker Zimmerman. Walker Zimmerman wasn't even the top yeah. five. Um, I think that's appalling, but um, that that goes to show you uh, how they feel about defending and yep. his contributions to the game in North America. Um, I think if it was Italy or something, maybe he would have won. <laughs> won. No, that's, that's very true. I, I also I, I've got to say, and I agree, I, I feel the same about Coach of the Year as well. In fact, maybe even all the awards, but definitely coach and MVP. If the playoffs are classed as the MLS season, you wait until the season is over and then you do the awards. Because say Rui Diaz did what he did tonight, sparked this comeback, did so well. Say he stars in the MLS Cup final. Surely he deserves to be in the frame more than maybe Morris and Ladero. Wasn't even top five. You could have a guy from Columbus that has excelled through the playoffs and then takes it into the the MLS Cup as well. I just think awards like this, you should wait. Well, that's the thing, though, Michael. The way they have they have it set up is um, there's a separate award for the playoffs, right? There's an MVP mm-hmm. for the playoffs, which is another dumb thing, but uh, or not not dumb, but just not a thing. I'm. It's a bit. I mean, for years, it was a struggle to try and find MLS stats for players for the playoffs because they only listed regular season on the on the site. And the other thing that worked against Rui Diaz, you have to remember, is he missed a significant time due to, I want to say, COVID or isolation, yeah. quarantine or whatever. Which I guess so did Walker Zimmerman, if you think about that, since Nashville missed the whole summer. Yeah. He's still Defender of the Year despite them missing the whole summer tournament. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's been so, a weird year. Yeah. So either so this how this breaks down. It's either Caleb Porter and the Portland Timbers are the two winners in MLS, or Caleb Porter or Seattle and Portland are the two winners in MLS this year. 
Another another season that a Whitecaps rivals in the MLS Cup. And the MLS back tournament. Oh, oh yes. Of course. Cascadia yeah. double. That's what I said. Is it Seattle, Portland, or uh Oh that I, I thought you were just meaning because of Porter's Portland oh. connections. Oh. Yeah, it's Seattle, Portland, or Portland Porter. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe they should play off to have the ultimate winner. The charity. Shield. I'll suggest that on some Cascadia group and just sit back and just watch the carnage. Anyway, on that note, let's end our MLS chat. We are going to be back talking Canadian soccer and in particular the CPL Awards after this. Hello, it's Kai Kumar and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. And kicking off this part, it's the first song from AFTN's Artist of the Month for December, American Legends, Husker Du. A band I very much loved in the late 80s. That was the first song I actually ever heard from them, Don't Wanna Know If You Are Lonely, taken from their fifth studio album and what turned out to be their penultimate studio album, 1986's Candy Apple Grey. Don't know why we haven't featured them in the show before, but this seems a, a great month to feature them. The band come from Minnesota, considering Minnesota United's fantastic season in MLS this year. Certainly seems like a, a good time to, to dig them out. So we'll have a few more songs of theirs to come over the month. But we're going to get back to talking football now. And for the rest of tonight's show, it's going to have very much a Canadian feel because we're going to be talking a lot of Canadian soccer. And we're going to kick things off by looking at some more awards. We looked at who won the Landon Donovan MVP in MLS in the first part of the show there. It is awards season. We've already done a a lot of hours on the show here. And at the end of November, the Canadian Premier League had their second ever annual awards ceremony. So we're going to take a, a little bit of a delve into that now. Look at who won what and also hear from some of the winners as well. I got a chance to, to speak to all of them after the awards ceremony. So let's get into a, a quick look at, at who won what. Now, the, the golden boot, it went to Akeem Garcia. He had an absolutely outstanding uh, Island Games and w- was on fire there and was certainly in the discussion as well for, for being the, the league's MVP, which we'll come to shortly. 
goalkeeper of the year was Tristan Henry. And that, that was one that you felt, Zach, that, that wouldn't have been your choice. No, would it have been yours? I don't know. I kind of went back and forth with it. I think he did well. And I think because he did land him to to the title, I, I think it was was worth him getting it. But but did he like from again, this is months ago now, but from my recollection, like he, he was, yeah, sure, I guess he was solid in the tournament, but he wasn't as outstanding. And obviously that's a credit to his team and their setup and their efforts and, and their tactics and all that. But like I don't know, with keeper of the year, it's not just who wins. You know what I mean? Like I I know. But I mean I he kind of felt that he was snubbed last year. He wasn't even nominated. And I, I think that might have been an oversight that maybe played a, a little part into it. It's that never that should never play a role in these things. Like I mean, you and I have talked before about how we, you know, you know, individual awards and in football and whatever, but like that shouldn't play a factor. And you know, although the guy was good last year, he, he didn't get nominated. Let's make up for it and give it to him this year. Like that's 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 foolishness. Yeah, but I mean, I I, I do think he was a, a worthy winner this year. And I'm going to just play a, a little bit of the the audio from Tristan Henry, just from the the post awards media press conference that we had, just chatting about the award and the the season that Forge FC had. Congratulations on the award, Tristan. I mean, it's it's been a whirlwind couple of years for yourself and, and all the guys at Forge, back-to-back CPL titles, runs in the, the CONCACAF League, making it to the, the Canadian Championship final, winning this award. With so much going on and so much happening so fast, have you really had a chance to, to kind of take a step back and just look at your journey from from where you were just a, a couple of years ago to, to where you are now. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think uh, from where I was uh, two years prior, um, it's been it's been like night and day into in terms of my career, um, just starting my professional career and what I've been able to do um, and accomplish in these two years. Um, not only myself but the team. Uh, I think it's been huge, and like you said. I have to pinch myself some time and uh, just be thankful for where I am today. I, ju- I just want to ask Tristan uh, quickly, how has game has changed over the last couple of years? I know that one thing, and I'm, I'm only guessing here, but I think you've become more aggressive in the box, haven't you, over time? Yeah, I think I would say so. Um, I think it's just it's just really just confidence. Um, I think just playing to my strength, I think that is one of my strengths um, as a goalkeeper. Uh, Coach Joe is always pushing me to, to work on that. Like you said, the more games I play, the more confident I become. So, um, Obviously, a very exciting year for you and your teammates. So what is it about this group of guys that's just so special and that's allowed you guys to kind of set the set the bar here for for all CPL teams? I think we're just a, a special group. Um, we're resilient. Um, we're a team that's uh, been together for a while now, um, a lot of guys since last year. Um, so I think we're just able to, to roll with the flow and just deal with anything that's in front of us. Um, nothing can really shake us, so I think that's really helped us with our success this year. I wanted to bring it back to to Sigma and this entire group that's come through. Just just your thoughts on on how this team has, you know, like again, two years ago, you're 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 playing semi pro, right? This is quite a leap. Like, what would you say about this group that that's come through? 
it's a special group. It's been it's what has helped is that we've come through the same academy, a lot of us, and we've known each other for years. Um, so I think that's helped with our early success in this league. And they were just really a resilient team um, that deal, deals with whatever is in front of us. Um, so I think that's really helped with our success this year and last year. So Forge FC keeper, CPL goalkeeper of the year, Tristan Henry there. Now, the best Canadian under-21 player, this was a, a guy that I thought was very worthy of it, was Mo Farsi. And, like, Farsi is a a guy that is, he's what the CPL is all about. He's basically playing non-league soccer, amateur soccer, goes to a trial, stands out at the trial, has an outstanding season with Cavalry FC, and there's been lots of talk that he might earn himself now a, a deal over in Europe. A very exciting prospect. So no, no far seed to name Mo Farsi, U21 Canadian player, Canadian Premier League Player of the Year. Um, yeah, no, I think good decision. He was definitely one of the better younger players uh, at, at the Island Games. And yeah, I hope him all the best, whether that's, again, over, yeah, in a, in a new opportunity overseas or um, continuing to be a part of the machine that is... Tommy Wilden's Cavalry FC. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So let's just hear a little bit from Mo Farsi now, just chatting after the CPL Awards. When you look back at your journey that you had this year, can you just talk us a little bit through it and what was it, do you feel, that led to you having the breakthrough year that you did? So, yeah, first of all... Uh... I came in cavalry like a trial trialist player. I was in another club. Uh, yeah, I went in March for two weeks in trials, and after uh, after one week and a half, Tommy um, and Martin Nash uh, signed me. So yeah, I did this the season with yeah the preseason uh, with them like a trialist like two first week, and after yeah, so it was a little bit difficult in the in the first half of the this pre-season uh, but after like uh, I was comfortable everybody make me comfortable and yeah just find my way and I play my football and I'm here and I'm proud. Looking ahead then obviously when you've had a, a tough year like this or a breakthrough year like this as well the second year can sometimes be a little bit tougher what do you feel you need to do now to work in your game? And what do you feel you need to do to take your game to this next level to get even better in 2021? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be in the detail. Uh, I have to improve some detail. And uh, yeah, I, just, I don't have to put this pressure on my shoulder. I just have to to yeah to continue to play my game and just and don't tell myself, yeah, I have to, to be good like last year and, you know, put this... Uh, bad energy and this bad pressure you know i just have to enjoy my football and yeah play like every day you know uh, do you feel like there's anything extra now you need to do this off season or any off season plans in a change to make sure that you can maybe get to another level next season uh, just because you're not really that unknown factor anymore coming into next year a lot of people know who mo Farsi is in the cpl they know maybe uh, or maybe think they know how to defend against you is there anything special you got to change now this off season uh, to prepare for next year? Yeah, for sure. They have a lot. I think they have a lot of things that have uh, to improve and to yeah to change. Uh, first of all, uh, my one on one. You know, be brave. Be brave to go forward and go one on one, drive the ball and one on one with the defender. You know, and try to beat them 
with the in the right side or the left side, you know, I think it's gonna this point this fact is gonna be the the biggest. If I'm able to to dribble inside, then you know, shot shoot with the left or go outside, then you know, shoot with the right, like my goal. I think uh, it's gonna be yeah the best improvement uh, I can do. So I think Farsi was was kind of a lock-in for the Under-21 Player of the Year in, in my mind. And the, the other player award that I think was probably a lock-in for many people, but not all, was who the CPL Player of the Year was. Congratulations, Marco Bustos. Okay, maybe he wasn't a lock-in then. Yeah, there was a lot of talk that Bustos maybe should have got it because the, the description of it, is it's not who was the necessarily the best player in the league, but who had the biggest impact for his team in the league. And when you break it down in that regards, Bustos did maybe have the biggest impact for Pacific FC. You could say that his impact with Pacific was bigger than Becker alone with Forge FC because Forge had more pieces around Becker, but Bustos had to do maybe a lot more of it with Pacific FC. Yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, I, I do think Marco Busto should have won this award. I do think it's helpful that they have a clear definition for this award, but I still think uh, it combines two things that should probably be separated out. And if you're going to do awards, why not have more awards? More people, more yeah. players. It's, it's a fine kind of thing. Well, um, I, I'm sure they don't come cheap. I, I love the awards, by the way. They oh, are absolutely beautiful. Like, the native R is just like stunning. Yeah. Hopefully one day we can win like CPL podcast of the year or something. <laughs> oh man. Um, uh, but no, it, it, I, I, Becker's a good player. He was instrumental and influential, but I agree with you. There are more uh, Hamilton, sorry, Forge have more um, big impact players who played a big role on their team than Bustos did at, at Pacific. And that's not to knock the contributions from the other players at Pacific in any way. It just, it, he obviously plays a bigger role and played a bigger role. And his contributions were of a, of a, of a, of a high caliber, of a high quality. Now, so were some of Becker's. Uh, and I like how Becker didn't just like, you know, there weren't just goals from distance. He, I think he got some headers or a header or two. Like he was, you know, so he, he is worth the award, but I, I, if it was me voting, I would have voted for Marco Bustos. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is fair to possibly add another award because you could have most valuable player and break that down as being the player that's the, of the most value to his team. And then you could also have like player of the year, which would then be the guy that was the best player in all of the CPL. Of course, the problem with North America is MVP is the guy or the term that gets used in a lot of the other sports for being the best player as well. But I think it would be worth certainly having having both of those. Yeah. I mean, you look at the stats, right? Busto's second in goals, first in assists, first in shots. Um, yeah, I don't know. He had, he, had, he had the stats to back it up and I think the quality as well. Maybe next year. But let's actually hear a little bit now from Kyle Becker, the man that was voted the CPL's Player of the Year for 2020, and just what he had to say after the award ceremony. It's just been a special couple of years for this team. Can I ask Tristan this as you'd have heard, but when you look back on these two years, what 
what do you kind of take from it? Have you had a chance to kind of really digest what it, what it means to you and, and to the team? Yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously very special. I think everyone who came into this league obviously had the goal of, of winning that first season and, and kind of etching their, their names in history. And, and we were the ones who did it. And then we kind of backed it up this year. So it's, it's a, a little bit of a fairy tale in that sense that it's, it's obviously everyone's, everyone's goal to do that. It's easier said than done, but we've, we've kind of put pen to paper and, and everyone's bought into to what we're doing here. And, we're playing for something that's that's bigger than the individual, and yet we're all succeeding at the same time, and that's and that's really special to to be a part of. It's it's something that we all have uh, a piece to play in in creating that philosophy and, and really building a club from the ground up. And we have a group who is actually bought into that, so it's uh, it's uh, it's really special. I know sometimes when you look back on on career, it'd be not fair to ask you where different successes and achievements and, and things rank you've had success you, you've won championships before the fact that this was from the ground up and you've kept this group together and you look ahead at what might lie ahead in the champions league in the canadian championship whatever might be in the future does it make it a little bit more special yeah definitely i think um these last two years obviously rank, uh, I think, up there with uh, the best moments in my career. And it's it's because of, of what it means for, for Canadians and, and, and the future and that next generation. Everything we're doing here is is we're setting the standard. And now we've set the standard to, if you're going to play at Forge, you have to be a champion. And if you're not winning, then you're not meeting what we expect from, from you day in and day out. And to be a part of that, it's, as I said before, it's it's truly special. It's, it's an honor to be a part of this group. And and represent these guys day in and day out and, and what we bring to the table. So it's, it's for me, these, these last two years have, I, I think, been the best, uh, the best of my career, no doubt. Hey, Kyle, uh, what's it going to take here for one of these other CPL teams to knock you guys off the top of the, top of the mountain? It's been quite the run for you, Forge guys, obviously. I don't know. It's a, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer. I think uh, we're thinking the same thing. We're already preparing for, for next year and how we're going to come out and, and keep everyone motivated and, and hungry to go for three, because obviously that's uh, that's what we want here at Forge. So it's it's we know how competitive this is, and we know how tough it is. And in a unique league like this, with uh, with few teams, it's it's hard to to go in week out or week in and week out and play the same team over and over and continue to be motivated to go out there and, and get the job done. But that's the that's the beauty of these guys and this group we got here. It's it's everyone's trying to do something special and. That's the that's the million dollar question. I think we're going to have to continue to adapt and, and get better and keep pushing the envelope and keep setting that standard higher and higher. So I'd hope everyone else in the league is doing the same thing because because we're not uh, we're not done yet. And also, there's a lot of talent in this league, but you guys have really established established yourselves as the number one team and really set the bar. So why do you think this group's been able to to do that? And do you guys kind of take pride in the fact that you guys kind of have this target uh, on your back now? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that target is something we've 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 wanted to achieve. Um, when when we kind of get together the group at the beginning of the year, we said uh, we wanna we wanna set the precedent where if people think about Canadian Premier League, they think about Forge FC, and then they start to look at the players on our team for to be the pinnacle and the gold standard in this league. So that's the motivation day in and day out, and that's been uh, that's been what we've wanted to achieve. And I think so far it's it's gone well. I think we got. We got two plates to show for it, so we're gonna we're gonna go back to the drawing board and keep that same motivation and and keep going ahead and keep forging ahead. 
So CPL Player of the Year, Kyle Becker there. Maybe not a surprise to a lot of people, but there, there was certainly an argument to be had. The last award that we're going to talk about, I think did surprise many people, which was Coach of the Year. And the, the three nominees for this were Mista from Ottawa, I think nominated just because of first-year team, everything that they went through, stuff like that, short notice, putting everything together. It was a bit of a strange one, yeah. really, to, to basically nominate him. You had Bobby Smyrniotis, the guy that led his team to the championship, and Stephen Hart, whose team went from last place in the CPL to making the championship game this year. Who would have, who would have had your vote, Zach? Well, first off, we said this before when these were announced, these nominations were announced, but obviously Pamudaka should have been in there instead of Mista. I know they went through a lot yeah. and it was getting things off the ground and whatever, but it's not, it, it, it's, it, yeah, you, how you, how you could, how anyone could, could say his contribution was bigger than Pamudaka is, is asinine. So I'm really glad that Stephen Van Hart has won this award. Uh, yeah, because yeah, Mista should not have won it, and uh, as as worthy a winner as Bobby Bobby Smirniotis would have been, I think Stephen Hart is deserving from the way in which he uh, turned the, turned a team around. Granted, a team that he built originally uh, in 2019, but he uh, recognized where the team needed to improve, made improvements, and then got uh, got a lot out of his players. And uh, I think against all the odds. Made it to the made it to the final and put in a, a really good effort in the final. I, again, I know earlier I said you know other things should you know it should be based on the play and other things shouldn't factor in, and it doesn't. But I'm also just thankful because Stephen Hart is a person who's given a lot to Canadian football at the I think at the college level. I think you know he's done stuff in in the province of uh, of, of Nova Scotia, right? And yeah, and then, he's he's been involved with, with college level there and yeah, football and, and yeah. And yeah. at the national the, for the national team, uh, I I really appreciated his contributions. Again, having had some close experiences, having been to some national team training sessions in Montreal back in the day, and and, and being able to talk to him, and more importantly, just like uh, observe him uh, when he was uh, assistant coach and and then and then head coach. Um, I I really appreciate. Uh, I really appreciate him. Now you can argue about his style and whatever that that's, you know, there's a good debate to be had there, but I appreciate his contributions. Yeah. I mean, I said during the the Island games on the show that I was really enjoying talking to him because he, again, very insightful, gave some really good answers when we were having our, our chats before matches and in between matches and stuff like that as well. I I was glad he won it. I, I think Forge FC feel a bit slighted. They feel that Bobby should have won it and they kind of they take it as a little bit of a snub from what I can gather by what some of the players ha- had posted o- on social media. But I mean, everything you said there about Stephen Hart, very true, a great servant to the game. And I know you can't just have that come into it. But I mean, he he turned that team around and he he didn't bring back many players. I think it was just something like half a dozen players or, or something that he brought back. And it was a good rebuild and now he's got something really to, to build upon and work upon next year. And they did play some nice football at times as well. And they, they've got a few standout talents to watch that I think are just going to get better and better as, as the league goes on. 
But I, th- I think it also came a little bit of a, a surprise to Stephen Hart that, that he won it as well. Let's just play a little bit of audio from Stephen now, just after the awards ceremony when he was crowned winner. You mentioned on the, the broadcast that it was a great honour. It seemed to really surprise you that you got it. Can you just talk a little bit about the emotions of winning the award? Um, first of all, thank you very much. Um, not so much the emotions or, or the surprise. Uh, you know, um, you're you're in this, you're in a in, in a team environment, and it's 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 really uh, the, the the whole club really that that brings things to the forefront. And um, you know, with the with the the nominations of Mister and of course Bobby. And the success Bobby has has had, um, it it you know it was really flattering to 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 receive the uh, the, the the reward uh, the award. So, you know, it, it was just one of those things that it was it was not even uh, on my mind really. And then um, all of a sudden, I found this out. So it, it was that was that was what the surprise was really. Now, you've had a couple of months now to digest what happened at the Island Games and, and how your team performed. When you look back on just everything that, that's happened this year, from pre-season, getting ready, the pandemic hitting, not knowing what was going to happen, to, to the run and the turnaround that your team did, how are you going to look back in 2020? That's, that's a good question. Um you know, uh, we, we were just happy to be to be able to play. You know, 2020 was a difficult year and remains a difficult year for, for everybody in all walks of life. Um, and we were just happy to be able to do our jobs and, and, to, to, and to, to play the game we love. Um, and most of all, I, I was really happy for the club, um, for, for, for getting as far as we did and for the players that endured... Uh, so much, you know, and really and truly, you know, you you look back, uh, and I look back at 2020. What I'm what I'm going to really uh, take from it is is appreciate uh, uh, the fact that we are allowed to do um, something that we love, and how easily these things can be taken away from us. From going from last season to this season, the growth that you've had with the team, the chance that you've actually got to build something in Halifax, we all watch a lot of football around the world. You see that the stability is often not there. Teams don't give managers a chance to actually build something. Is it nice to have been at a club where they give you faith and they have given you a couple of years to build something and then reaping the, the rewards out of it? Well, uh, you know, let, let's be honest. I think it's the only way to do it. Um, first, to begin, you, you, you're starting a league from scratch, um, which in itself is, is complicated. Um, and, and then you're trying to, to, to build teams. Um, in some instances, there are teams within the league that were already packaged, so to speak. You know, and then there were teams in the in the in the league that had to basically also start from scratch. Um, if you're not patient, um, you're, you're going to you're going to 
to do things that, that cause errors and cause inconsistency and don't really build a club. And uh, all credit to, to my organization and ownership and backroom staff, they, they understood that. And, you know, to, to think that you're going to come flying out of the, the, the box from the very beginning um, was, was uh, really rolling the dice. You know, so it is. It is. Uh, it is a compliment to the to to the club and the club ownership that they look at things in a in a very sort of pragmatic, practical way. What's the off season looking like for you then? Just now, there's obviously still a lot of uncertainty. No one really knows will the league get underway in April or what it will look like. But the success of the Island Games, the the success that you've had in Halifax. Has it made it a little bit easier this time around for recruitment? And what what has it kind of looked like so far for you? Um, well, there, there's a couple of things there. First to begin, I think the league, uh, with the success of the of the Island Games, um, they have that under their belt. They, they know how to do it, um, be it if it has to be in a bubble or whatever, and some sort of hybrid version of it. So I trust that, uh, you know, the, the, brain, the brain trust of, of the league will, will get it right again. Um, as for the club, uh, you know, we, we, we know we know the type of players we want. We know what we'd like to build. Um, you, you, try to, you try to keep certain players. You do your best. But players have ambition. You can't, uh, you can't stop them from that. We want them to have ambition. So you try to keep the, the core of your team and, uh, you know, if necessary, you try to make that, that core stronger um, with more depth and or in some instances you have to, to fill spaces that uh, unfortunately were created by, by player movement. Um, and that's what the off-season is usually about. Thanks so much, Stephen, and congratulations again. Thank you very much. So CPL Coach of the Year, Stephen Hart there. Congratulations to all the winners. And as I mentioned, absolutely beautiful trophies. I, I just think that the CPL, we might mock the microwave plate that they, they give out to the, the winners of the championship. But these Player of the Year awards are absolutely top notch. Just beautiful, beautiful things. But that is it for this part. That is not the end of us talking about awards, though. We're going to be back looking at some of the awards that Canada Soccer handed out this past week and hearing from one of the award winners. A man very well known here in Vancouver and on the AFT and Soccer Show, Bayern Munich's Alfonso Davies, the new Canadian Men's Player of the Year. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. A 
double soul Select the road, take the deck When he get us in the zone Mic check, where we come from Musically we rock throws Lyrically we rock both And in together from the beginning Let everyone know Moscow to 3 gate Got a bone to pick Whatever's called out Try and cancel out, delete Xenophobia enable us Another biggest win Everyone considering a race Above all the myths To all the haters sending death threats Come in sections I treat it all as a sign of pure affection Come into my sector You better watch out Cause the vibe that can both Boost the rage virus in the crowd Well right now We're right here Jump out to sit and slam to the dumb and black beat We're right now, we're right here Be a mad suit, right in the front of the better running down yeah. Fall like a domino We keep pushing on and on Suck a big phenomenon whoa, whoa. My mic is a megaphone, can't shake my flow Damn, fall like a domino We keep pushing on and on Suck a big phenomenon whoa, whoa. My mic is a megaphone, can't shake my flow Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a a band that we've featured a few times over the course of the year. I am going to make them Artist of the Month at some point in 2021, just to bring you some more of their songs to you. I've just ordered all three of their CDs. I've basically just been listening to their stuff off YouTube, really, for the whole year, so I thought I should get around ordering their three CDs, along with a t-shirt as well. From Russia, that is Moscow Death Brigade, with their latest single, Megaphone, which is taken from their most recent album, Bad Accent Anthems. Got to love a bad accent. I can certainly do my fair few if I'm trying to mimic them on the show. We'll avoid that for this episode, though. We'll just get straight back into talking about football and back to chatting about some more awards because Canada Soccer handed out their end-of-year awards in the, the past week or so. So we're going to look over who won what there and also hear from the winner of the Men's Player of the Year, Alfonso Davies. But we'll kick things off just with a quick rundown of who won what elsewhere. So let's kick things off by looking at a player that also won an award from the CPL this season. Mohamed Farsi was named the Canadian Futsal Player of the Year. Farsi scored the winner in his debut at the end of January in a win against CONCACAF champions Costa Rica and was expected to feature very prominently in this year's 2020 CONCACAF Futsal Championships. But they were, of course, sadly postponed because of the COVID pandemic. But, I mean, it's an aspect of the game that I've talked a lot about recently on my East Fife podcast. Just the skill that it helps develop for players is absolutely fantastic. So well done to Mohamed for winning that. That was announced on the 30th of November. The following day, the Canadian Youth Players of the Year were announced. On the male side, it went to New England Revolution's Tajon Buchanan. Buchanan had an absolutely fantastic season with the Revolution, getting all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship final. Sadly, could not help take the team over the line into the MLS Cup final, but a great season for him nonetheless. He's still only 21 years old and he's in his second season in the league. Played this season as both a winger and as a fullback, and it definitely looks like Canada might have this right back they've been looking for for the last couple of seasons as well. If he can keep this development going, very excited at what lies ahead for Tajon. On the women's side, Jade Rose won the Female Youth International Player of the Year. 
The defender played a prominent role for Canada at the CONCACAF Women's Under-20s Championships in February and March, playing in all five of the games there. And another player that seems to have a very bright future ahead of her. And then the final award before the Big Two was handed out on Wednesday, and it went to a Vancouver Whitecaps player. Maxime Cropot won the Good Hands Award, basically Canada's save of the year, and his diving save against Iceland in a friendly way back in January is what got that for Max. Hopefully he's going to win a lot more awards with the Whitecaps over the years. And all that left was the two big awards, the Canadian Men and Women's Player of the Year. Not really a, a surprise, Zach. Was there ever, ever, was there ever even a contest? I don't think oh, so. Come on. Quintuple winner in Europe? I mean, my vote for the top three would have been Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, and then maybe Scotty Arfield for just what, what he's doing with Rangers this season, but I'm maybe a bit biased there. I mean, who would have been your, your top three nominations on the men's side? Uh, Alfonso Davies, Fonzie Davies, mm. and A Davies. Ah. Yeah, I mean, there, there really was no sort of contest for that. He, he spoke to the media after getting the uh, award on Thursday. So I'm just going to bring you a, a few snippets from that just now. Just him talking about his journey and just what this means to him and uh, a few other things as well. Here is the Fonz, Alfonso Davies. New season coming out 2021. Um, I think all the boys are just excited to, you know, be back with the team. We have, you know, the Gold Cup coming up, the qualification for the 2022 World Cup. And we're all excited about that. Um, I think it's been almost a year since we haven't, you know, seen seen each other. Um, so we're all excited. We're all getting ready to, you know, put on a performance for, for 2021. You've worked hard to get where you are. And uh, this award is uh, shows the success you've achieved. But your career is still young. You have a, a long future ahead of you. Do you feel like uh, you've just scratched the surface of your potential? Do you think is there more to come? And is there anything in particular you're working on in your game? Um, yeah, I'm excited for this award. Um, I just want to thank everyone that voted for me. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about it. Um, yeah, for me, um, on a personal standpoint, I just want to, you know, play the game, you know, that I love. Um, with everything that's going on, you know, I'm very grateful. I'm very humble for this, um, for everything that's happening around me right now. I think uh, my main focus is, you know, getting back on the pitch, um, trying to be injury, injured free. Um, so, and hopefully we can, you know, with buying, winning the season again and going to 2021 with Canada, you know, hopefully win, win the Gold Cup and qualify for the 2022 World Cup. You know, 2020, obviously a difficult year for a lot of people, but a, a big year for you. I'm just curious, when you look at your year, 2020, what was your favorite part of the year? What's the point in the year that, that you'll always remember? I don't think I have a very uh, specific, you know, favorite moment in 2020. I think everything that came with 2020 was amazing. Um, from, you know, winning the league to winning the, the German Cup to winning the Champions League to winning, you know, um, five titles in a year is, you know, it's amazing. Um, and I'm, and I was, I'm, I'm happy that I was part of that. And I'm happy that uh, I can be able to, you know, lift those trophies. Um, you know, like I said before, carry the Canadian flag with pride. Um, 
But uh, overall, no, I don't have a favorite moment in 2020. I think everything that came with 2020 was, you know, was special to me. When you look at everything that you've achieved since the last time you won this award and how Canada obviously would love to develop more and more players of your caliber, how important was it for you to have a plan for how your career would go? More, maybe more precisely, what's the most important aspect of this planning of your career that maybe young players that want to get to where you are might tend to overlook sometimes? Um, I think, um, you know, winning this award 2018 was, you know, was amazing. And I winning it now in 2020 is, you know, it's, it's amazing as well. Um, and to the message to the young players, I think uh, hard work and dedication, um, you know, is everything you, you need as a footballer, anything in life. Um, if you're dedicated to something, you know, you, you, you'll fight for that, fight for that something. Um, I just want to say don't give up um, how, however hard it is. Yes, it's going to be tough down the road, but, uh, you know, um, the more work you put in, the, you know, the achievement you get out of it. Obviously, your game has grown a lot and matured during your time in Bayern Munich. But off the field, I'm wondering, you know, what has this life experience been for you as, as, a, as a young man? How have you grown as a person during your time in Germany off the field? Um, yeah, off the field, um, I think I just, you know, just, you know, try to do what I have to do to, you know, stay, you know, stay at the top level. Um, obviously, um, injuries come and go, but uh, I think up, off the pitch, you know, I try to get as much rest as possible. I drink a, a lot of water. I learned a lot from the veterans there. Um, on the pitch, they told me, you know, when you play the game, have fun, keep calm, you know, play how you know how to play, you know, off the pitch. You know, I like uh, they carry themselves well. Um, some of the some of the the big players. So um, watching them, being with them, twenty four seven. You know, day in day out. You know, you pick up little things that they do, and uh, I I grew more and more mature each and every day. I just kind of I wanted to to know the last two years. It's been something of a, a whirlwind for you. Have you had a chance to kind of really sit back and reflect and? look at your journey and do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? You always seem quite humble and your feet are always on the ground. How do you manage to do that and just how do you reflect on what your journey has been? Yeah, um, the last two years have been amazing. Um, I'm really grateful for everything that's happening um, you know, in my career. Um, um, with the humble part, I have a lot of, you know, people that are down to earth uh, around me, you know, surround myself by with, uh, a lot of good friends, you know, that help me keep my feet on the ground. And, um, you know, me winning all these uh, all these trophies is, is amazing. And I want to keep going. And I know that, uh, you know, um, after a snap of the finger, it can get taken away. So each and every moment I have to enjoy, um, you know, especially and stay humble as well because, um, you know, you don't want to get, you know, too ahead of yourself. You know, you want to day by day, step by step, you, you know, you go on with life. I was just wondering, Alfonso, coming into this season, uh, you've proven yourself as one of the top players in the world of your position. Everyone kind of knows who you are in Europe now and, and not just across the Atlantic here. D did it change anything for you? Did you feel any more pressure? And, and if so, how do you kind of deal with that now you are this kind of established star name? No, I have no pressure. Uh, um, the same, you know, the same way that I played, you know, these this last year, you know, is the same way that I'm going to play this year. Um, despite this injury, um, I think nothing is going to change with me. Um, I'm still going to go out there and play my game, you know, 
Um, there's no pressure. Um, I know that I'm young. I know, you know, a lot of people are, you know, looking at me, but uh, that doesn't change my mindset, doesn't change who I'll be often on the pitch. Um, I'll stay the same and, you know, play play the game that I know how to play. I'm not going to change anything too dramatic about my game. Alfonso, you've been carrying Canadian colours in Europe. Uh, so have uh, Canadian teammates like uh, Jonathan David, Milan Borjan, uh, Scott Arfield and others, not to mention all the Canadian women playing in Europe. Uh, do you, are you getting the sense that uh, we're getting a little bit more respect soccer-wise now? Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, you know, when I was growing up, um, I felt like no one, you know, gave Canadians a chance. And now that they see that, uh, you know, we have, you know, quality on in in Canada and now they're just, you know, coming on this side. It's amazing to see um, watching Jonathan David uh, play his game with Lille. It's, it's amazing to see seeing Milan Boyan playing against him. It was amazing. Um, yeah, and also the women as well. A um, couple of players, you know, coming on this side is it's amazing. And I feel like uh, um, if we get more and more opportunities, I really think that... Uh, um, we can, you know, go far in this game. Uh, you know, Canada is known for as a hockey country, um, and now that we're proving that, you know, we can we can also play football as well. So, Canadian Men's Player of the Year, Alfonso Davies, there, just talking about his journey, winning the award, and a few other things as well. It's, I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot before. We won't go into it in a lot of detail, Zach, but it's just exciting times for for Canadian soccer. He's the cream of the crop. He's the ambassador for the sport. And I think his success is really going to just open the doors to a lot more Canadian talent. I think it's opened a window to the game here. Even in MLS, folk are, are looking at MLS players as well. And that can only be a good thing. The, the tough thing, of course, for Fonzie is a lot of success in his first two years at Bayern is living up to that level, living up to that hype, living up to that expectation now. Yeah, I mean, and he, I mean, he's injured or, or he's coming back from injury. He's, he's back on the pitch. Uh, I don't know if he's uh, doing ball work yet, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be how does he recover from this first significant injury? Um, obviously, one of the big questions will be is it going to slow him down, li- like literally, um, because that is one of his biggest assets. His, his pace enables him to do things uh, that people without pace can't do cheat forward, um, anticipate, uh, make an error, and then make up for it, um, get into space, um, blow by defenders, um, which then allows him to have more time uh, to be decisive in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his passing or in his decision-making, decision uh, you know, whether to shoot or not or what to do. So, yeah, uh, this is, is going to be a, a very significant time. But the one thing is, yeah, you're right, life is short, and – um, you know, you can, uh, you can only keep striving, you know, as a football, you can only keep striving to, you know, to do your best and, and whatever. The great thing for Alfonso Davies is no matter what happens, like what he's done this year will forever be remembered uh, in an extremely positive way. Obviously, we hope him to continue to do as well or even better, but like you, you'll never be able to take away from him what has happened in the last year, year and a half. That is the thing, though, like not to try and be a downer, but it, it can only kind of go downhill in some regards from that because you've, you've won the league, you've won the cup, you've won the Champions League. How do you follow that up? You've got to kind of sustain that. That's the problem clubs like Bayern and all the top clubs in Europe do face, of course. But 
I, th- I think on a national team level, if he can help get this current crop of talent to the 2022 World Cup, that's that's the next massive achievement that he can do. I mean, I, where, I, where I, do you see him playing for Canada? Do you see him now as left back or do you see him uh, in an attacking role? Obviously, he's developed and had, you know, a wealth of experience since he last played left back for Canada uh, because uh, I, I think uh, it's not even debatable. He's had some poor performances at left back for Canada. Um, and I think he would even admit that. Um, and, and, and we've always talked about how, you know, playing left back for Canada is different than playing back for the best club team in the world. Um, and so, you know, you're not surrounded by uh, players to support you, to uplift you, to, you know, lift you up or to um, make up for mistakes you make or whatever in the same way, which we did see in some of his performances earlier, right, where he, he made errors and the player next to him or the next person in line couldn't make up for his error. Um, thinking specifically about that game against the U.S. in the U.S. But I, I honestly, right now, I think John Herdman is, go- is going to want to use him at left back. Um, one, because that's where he's predominantly playing. Two, because it allows him to put other, uh, in a Canadian sense, quality attacking uh, uh, players in, fr- in front of him and in other spots in the, in the, the front, let's call it the front four. Um, and so... I think that's why they're going to keep him there in the same way that Canada typically has had played, you know, attacking wingers at right back, uh, even in this last little while. So I think you're going to see him at left back. Interesting. I mean, it's always been fun to chat with Fonzie over the years. I mean, we, we did his first interview just before he signed his USL deal and it's just been great to see his rise. Really hope it, it continues. Had so many things I wanted to ask him, but we only really had one question each, so we didn't really get a, a chance to explore that more. Maybe one day, if he does get to come back to Canada to play some games here, if the borders open, then we, we can get a chance to sit down and have another chat with him. So Fonzie was announced on Thursday as the winner of the Canada Soccer Men's Player of the Year. The female winner was named on Friday, Kadisha Buchanan won her third female Canadian Player of the Year award in the past six seasons. After another fantastic year that she had at club level with Olympic Lyon, which included her lifting the UEFA Women's Champion League. And of course, she also helped Canada qualify for the 2021, as it's going to be now, Olympic Games. Now, Kadisha wasn't actually put up for an interview by Canada Soccer, or we would have brought you some snippets from that as well. But hopefully we'll get a chance to speak to her soon. But since we're talking national teams, Zach, let's just finish with some Voyager's news. Yeah. So uh, I'm guessing most of the people listening to our podcast will know this already, but just uh, I just want to share some words uh, from the Voyager's about kind of what's going on with them, uh, who they are, and, uh, and what they're up to, and how you can play a role and engage with what's happening. So, uh, yeah, the Voyageurs are a supporters group, of course, of the Canadian national teams. Uh, and in 2021, uh, we'll celebrate the 20, their 25th anniversary, 25 years of supporting Canadian soccer. Uh, much has changed, of course, since the first Voyageurs banner were displayed in Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton back in 1996. And it is time for the Voyageurs to grow and to develop to reflect those changes. To that end, several volunteers have been working very, very hard 
for the past several months towards reorganizing the Voyageurs. The goal is to have a group that is better able to support the national teams, one that involves more people, people that share this great passion of ours as we work towards 2026 and beyond when Canada, uh, of course, 2026, when Canada co-hosts the Men's World Cup. As part of these reorganization efforts, the Voyagers want to reach out and re-engage with people and gather uh, people's perspective and their feedback. So in order to get people's feedback, they have um, created a short survey. I, I don't know if you looked at it, Michael. It's not, it doesn't take very long to, to go through. It's like, like I haven't yet, but I, I will. Yeah, it's like five, 10 minutes. Uh, so they're asking people to please complete the survey and share with anyone that they that you know that would be interested uh, or that you might feel might be interested in engaging in this way as well. Uh, the survey serves as a first step towards a more capable and transparent Voyagers organization. Uh, we would hope to have much more to share and do in early 2021 uh, based on those survey results and uh, also, I guess, dependent a little bit on what's happening in the, in the world as well. But if you haven't, uh, you can find that on uh, if you on the Voyagers Twitter, um, the Twitter handle. I think, Michael, I think you retweeted it out already. Um, I think I saw, I saw you retweet it, but um, it's been everywhere. I think all- I did, but if, uh, if I haven't, I certainly will again. It's been on Twitter and Facebook and whatever. And um, yeah, basically there's the Voyagers, I think, are looking at, um, they've had some barriers in, in the same way that, you know, we've, we've had local barriers to, um, to how you can support and what you can do and whatever. So like, I know in, in Vancouver, it's been very easy uh, for groups to do some stuff. And, and the Voyagers have faced difficulties in doing some of those very same things. Um, just some of the way things work in different provinces in our country have created issues. And uh, obviously there's massive liability issues. And the Voyagers technically at this point are kind of like Curva Collective. It's something run because there's people passionate enough to make it happen. And they're the ones who make it happen. And they're the ones who foot the costs for things. And they're the ones who... Uh, you know, it, there's very few rewards to reap. So they often are, cover, are covering the cost of, of shortfalls and stuff like that. And so I think the Voyagers are going to ideally out of this going to formalize and become like a, an actual entity that will enable them to, to do things, uh, more things than they have in the past and probably do some things in ways that um, is going to help engage a, a larger audience. So if you haven't already, uh, please go and fill out that survey, share your thoughts, share your perspectives. It will help shape things. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, really looking forward to seeing what comes out of all of this. Definitely, definitely get that filled in. And yeah, just let's just hope that we can get some Canadian national team games on home soil in 2021. Fingers crossed we can actually get some, any sort of professional games that, that fans can go to in Canadian soil in 2021. But that is it really for our awards talk for this show. We're going to be back with our feature interview for this episode after this. Hi, I'm Alan Koch and you are listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I have only one friend. She sings the same song as me.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is the new single from a former Artist of the Month here on the AFT and Soccer Show, one of Scotland's finest, Arab Strap. We talked about how they had reformed this year. That is their second single from the reformed band, taken from their forthcoming album, as Days Get Dark, which is going to be released on the 5th of March 2021. That was Compersion Part 1. Decided just to, to play a few of my favourite songs, past and present, on tonight's show. So no three of a kind this week. Just some great music and some great football chat. And we're going to get into some more of that now, as we're going to bring you our feature interview for this week's episode. So I'm delighted now to say that we are joined by Paul Varian, who has just written his first book, Don't Blame the Soccer Parents, Real Experiences and Common Sense Strategies to Build a Great Amateur Soccer Club. So we're going to get into it today with Paul just chatting about the book, his background, amateur sport in general. So delighted to to have you on the show today, Paul. Well, Michael, thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. Well... Very passionate about amateur sport here at AFTN, and we'll get into a lot of that stuff today. So I, I guess the first question really to ask you is, why did you write the book, and why did you feel that now was the, the best time to, to get it out there? Well, yeah, that, that's an obvious first question, isn't it? I think, Michael, firstly, this book's taken me years to write. It's my first one. I, I didn't realise how long it would take to, to put together a book of this nature, <laughs> and once you start writing, you sort of keep writing, and before you know it, you've over 400 pages written. But um, I guess the fundamental reason I decided to write it, Michael, is I, I've worked in amateur sport for many years now, not just here, but in other countries too. And certainly what I found was when I moved into amateur soccer, which I did about 10 years ago, I found that there was a lot of people contacting me who would be in the management of sports, uh, of amateur soccer in particular, um, be it technical leadership or administrative leadership, and they were constantly looking for a reference on how to run an amateur soccer organization. And there seemed to be a lot of training and a lot of books, a lot of education for coaches and for people on the sports side of the business. But there wasn't a lot for the, I guess, what we call the blue suit side as opposed to the fat suit side, the side where you're running the club and you have to do the sport business management side of it. Very often, as you know, my volunteers are doing this work. They're elected by out of parent groups or what have you. And they have very, very good intentions, but very often they don't have a lot of sport business training. And yet we ask them to take charge of these organizations that can sometimes be very big and complex. So I just kept getting asked a lot for a reference like this. I looked for one and I couldn't find one. There was stuff on pro sports. There was stuff, as I said, related to coaching. 
soccer league or club or whatever or whatever organization it will be in amateur sport for you to actually learn how to do your job so i thought you know this is what i do on a day-to-day basis um let's write a book so that the next time i get a call i can point you to a reference and three and a half four years later don't blame the soccer parents has been born yeah, I mean, that's very true because I, I was having a look around as well when I, I knew you were coming on the show and there, there's very little stuff in general on amateur sports. A lot is geared to, to the pro side and, as you say, coaching. And we should explain for listeners as well that this is a book aimed at amateur soccer management. So it's geared to the decision makers off the pitch it's not about coaching. It's not about telling you how to get the best team out there and players and stuff like that. It's it's all to do with with running clubs. And I I guess just now, Paul, with with COVID on, and I had a, a couple of looks at some articles that that you'd written on your own website, which we'll get to. But with COVID being rampant just now and amateur sports taking a beating, it's very important to to have a well run club just now more than ever. Yeah, I guess we gave amateur organizations, whether it's charitable organizations or sports organizations or, you know, um, cause-based uh, uh, organizations, we gave them a break because they were amateur. But in this consumerist day and age, and the book goes into this, you're treated as an amateur soccer club the same way as any commercial organization is treated by the consumers you deal with. In this case, uh, if you're a youth club, the parents who, who put in role their kids in your program. So running sports clubs has become far more complex and far more accountable than it used to be. Uh, COVID is just to add another layer to it. I mean, COVID is essentially just a, 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 an agitator of risk in sports organizations. But what it's done is, like, for example, this book goes into the importance of good financial management um, and making sure that you, you manage financial risk well and save money on your balance sheet for bad times. And amateur sports organizations have traditionally been very bad about that. They've generally just spent the money and been sort of hand-to-mouth um, because that's what they feel they're supposed to do. And nobody expected a sort of a black swan risk event like this COVID being to come around. Yet here we are. And the organizations I'm dealing with now, Michael, that have um, choices are the ones that have built strong balance sheets. Those that sadly have not are struggling or in some cases have actually had to shut their doors. So this book goes into a lot of the, the stuff about sports management. It isn't sexy. You know, it isn't holding a trophy. Um, it, these people don't get the accolades. They're very often unsung heroes in the background. As I said before, they're very often volunteers. But they get in, they do the work to allow the athletes to shine, the coaches to coach, and so on and so forth. So the book's written for them. They're a very important constituency. And as you rightly said, the role they play in running a sports club has become harder and harder over the years. Throw safe sports in there as well, and the requirements we have now of, of managing youth in sports are requirements now, not nice to have, they're must-haves, as they should be. But that creates consequences for those running these organizations. This book is there to help them do their jobs. Yeah, it's it certainly, from reading a little bit of the, the blurb about it and everything, it certainly seems a much-needed book, and especially at this time. We'll delve a little bit more into the book in a sec. I want to just talk a little bit about your background. You, you kind of touched on it a little bit there. I, I know you've had a, a wide and, and varied career all over the world. Here, you, you've been part of Sport BC. 
you were part of Oakville Soccer Club out in Toronto. So for people listening to this that might not know you, what exactly is your background? I know you're kind of described as a sport architect. What what does that involve and what gave you the insight to write this book from a, a soccer perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I basically worked at all levels of sport. So I, I actually started at uh, national sport. So I was the chief executive of uh, Irish hockey, uh, which is actually Irish field hockey. As, as you know, <laughs> being Scottish, you yeah. know, hockey over in the UK and Ireland, they usually mean balls and sticks on the ground, whereas here, of course, hockey means ice and skates and pucks and all those sorts of things. So um, I, I was in charge of Irish field hockey for a number of years. We did an amateur sport over there, albeit a big one. But I got exposed there to international sport, high-performance sport, uh, the highest level of international sport, really, um, and saw just how much goes into developing high-performance athletes and how it really is a science and not necessarily something that anyone can do. And then I moved to Vancouver in 2007, and I was uh, the CEO of Sport BC up to and over the, uh, the Vancouver 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. And obviously there, that was, an, uh, I'm sure your listeners all recall, that was an incredible time for the whole west coast of Canada, Vancouver yeah. in particular. My job there was to sort of represent the three quarters of a million British Columbians that participate in amateur sport every day and ensure that the games and the legacy of the games touched them as best as possible. So I had quite a strong advocacy role. I dealt a lot um, uh, with the British Columbian government at the time. I dealt a lot with all the provincial sport bodies of all 68 organized sports in British Columbia. So I wasn't so much of a cold face of delivering sport, but I was very heavily involved in the policy, the funding frameworks, all the, all the architecture that, um, that goes into making sure that, um, uh, that, uh, that sport is delivered um, at provincial level the way, the way it should be. And then I came back here to where I'm based now, Burlington, Ontario, and that was after the Olympics. And I decided, you know, I really want to get right in the weeds with sport now, right in literally in amongst it. So I, 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 I took the position as CEO of Oakville Soccer Club, which uh, your, your, your listeners may not know, but it's actually the largest, as I understand it anyway, it's the largest youth soccer club um, participation-wise in the entire continent of North America. There's oh, wow. um, uh, over 10, 12,000 uh, registered players at Oakville Soccer. It's a huge organization. Um, and I literally had kids, you know, knocking the, the soccer ball against the door of my office waiting to go and practice. I was that close to the, to the game there. But I really learned the challenges um, of delivering soccer on sports at a community grassroots level. But also, Michael, this is an important point, incredible power of sport in the community, the incredible power it has to unite people, to provide quality of life, to develop kids, to integrate communities. It's a tremendously powerful outlet, and we're really noticing it now this year when COVID took it away, we suddenly realized how much sport is a big part of our lives and a big part of our kids' lives, which of course indirectly becomes a big part of our lives as their parents. And so I really saw what a powerful force it was um, to, to really better people in many, many ways. And after I'd done that, Michael, I just really felt I, I would love to be helping more than one organization at a time. And I thought, well, what about if I went out now and did this on a consulting basis, because I was getting a lot of organizations, a lot of individuals calling me and saying, well, how do you do this at Oakville? How do you do that at Oakville? So I took the plunge and I started Capitalist Consulting about eight years ago. And uh, I'm still here, still uh, still working with, with amateur soccer organizations, literally from Vancouver Island over to Halifax, Nova Scotia, 
um, uh, are all different shapes and sizes, and I work with them in and around their boardroom. So you're quite right. We don't get into program design. We don't get into X's and O's. We don't get into the specific technical side of delivering sport. We do get into teaching organizations how to oversee technical operations, how to oversee a director of coaching or a technical director. But we keep what we do, and this book ostensibly is very much targeted in and around the boardroom in the management of sport organizations, not the program design side, which quite honestly, sport people don't need a book on. They do that very, very well anyway. Yeah, and I, I just, we touched upon there's a lot of other sort of things out there that that people can can use and, and get information on so i mean this covers your your book covers the the key components of r- running a well-managed soccer club so i mean it's looking at everything off the pitch from planning to fiscal management to marketing but also leadership roles and and getting people ready for that now the the title of the book don't blame the soccer parents I think in amateur sport, when you think amateur sport, you think of parents not fully qualified but trying to get more involved in the running of a club. Sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. Is that the the reason you went for that title or do you just feel in general that the soccer parents get get a bit of a a bad name really in terms of everything because everyone just thinks of the angry parent on the on the touchline? Raise sponsorship and these other things, and 
having worked with hundreds of them through my consultancy, that a lot of sports organizations in the amateur world don't do well, and that tends to be what um, either pulls them back or gets them into trouble or just means they can't be their very best. Yeah, and, and this, this changing age that we're in as well, I mean, technology has taken over. There, like A couple of friends of mine have, have launched a Sunday League team here called Golden Hour, and it's like they just play... Yeah, they they play just in a local league, but their marketing's great because it's guys that are like media students and they, they've got articles, they've got photographers, they've got videos, they did a kit launch, they've got shirt sponsors. These are the things nowadays that amateur clubs need to look at because that's how you're going to get money in. Because if you're successful, businesses want to be associated with you. And I think that's where a lot of the knowledge isn't there. So your book's certainly going to help people, I would think, in that regard as well. Yeah, and I would say there are, and we go into some examples in the book, Michael, there are great examples of clubs that are doing it really, really well. And on some of the LinkedIn articles you mentioned, I've identified other organisations that even in these really difficult COVID times are doing great, great things. So there is great examples out there. You know, when I say real experiences, common sense strategies, that's, that's no lie. This is not just a book of Paul Varian pontificating about what you should do. This is built out of things that are actually happening, actually being done. I've either seen done or done myself in some organizations. Um, and it, it, sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it requires a lot of patience and innovation. Uh, but it can be done. And as you pointed out very, very um, importantly, uh, to a degree now, it has to be done. There isn't a choice we had anymore. You can't be ordinary anymore. Hey, the customer won't let you do that. And sometimes... No, you're just simply not allowed to anymore. So, um, yeah, marketing is a great example of it. There's tremendous marketing initiatives and opportunities all around amateur sports clubs. If they just, you know, bring in people with digital marketing expertise and they maybe students, as you say, they don't have to be an expensive uh, marketing agency record by any stretch of the imagination. You just have to think differently in the 21st century than you did, you know, when we were kids. But at the end of the day, this book gives, I think, uh, people who are either new to this or new to this role, because you can often get people from athletic backgrounds moving into seats of leadership and and not necessarily knowing how that world of sport looks to them, that they're no longer training or coaching directly. It gives them a really good starter kit on how to focus on what, at the end of the day, are the most important things to great soccer club management. I was going to ask you, I, I won't put you on the spot, because I was originally going to ask you, like, what are some examples of some really top clubs in Canada that's doing things right? But that's maybe a bit unfair to put you in the spot like that. But what should people look for? What are the signs of success? And what are the signs of failure that would be warning signs? So if you were a parent or a player and you wanted to get involved with an amateur team, what would be the warning signs for avoiding that? And what would be the the, the things of come here, this is great, you want to be with this club? Well, that, that's a really, really good question. I think the first and most important thing I would look for out of any sports club at all for youth, um, but let's say soccer for, for the purpose of this discussion, is a clear and well thought out technical plan, right? So in other words, if you go and talk to your sports club and you say you've got a six-year-old girl, right? Um, you, and you say to the club, how will my daughter be developed in her soccer career through now until the age of 18 if I stay with you. That club should be able to very clearly show you that and ideally hand you something that you can understand as a non-soccer expert 
that will show you how your daughter can and will progress. And not just in a linear way, Michael, but in different directions too. If she, if she goes on and potentially could become a high-performance player, or if she wants to play at recreational level, or whatever it might be, that the club has clear structure to what it does. The other thing I would like to always see a club show is some sense of broader planning, corporate planning, strategic planning, that you can see what the club stands for, what it's aiming for, what it, what's it aspiring to be. And the third one, and this is becoming more and more important as we talk about ethics and good good culture in sport, are clear values that the club definitely seems to live by. So, you know, what do you reward? What do you punish? What do you consider your most important value chain that you teach not only your kids, but that you live by as an organization from the boardroom right through to your coaches, your volunteers, your staff? And that really reflects into a culture and that in turn reflects into an identity for your club. They're the things you should be looking for. It's not always easy for every club to, to do all those things, particularly they're really small. But there's no reason why they can't have some sort of sense of it. There's no reason why the technical director can't have a sense of how kids will develop through their program. There's no reason why you can't have some sort of semblance of a plan. And there's no reason why any organization can't have a sense of what it lives and dies by. And then it's really up to the parents to decide what they believe in and what they want for their kid. But if a club is not able to give you any of that, that probably means they're kind of disorganized. And, you know, that's up to you as to what you do with your kid. But in terms of what would be things I'd look for, I'd go for those four. Fantastic stuff. And you can get a lot more information about all of this stuff and a lot more in Paul's book, Don't Blame the Soccer Parents. Just before we go, just I would take it that this, it's written about soccer, but this these practices and these fundamentals, they can be used in all aspects of amateur sport, I, I would take it. Well, I've already initial feedback, Michael, I've already had several people contact me and say, you could just play soccer and put hockey in there or basketball yeah. or whatever. And the principles are exactly the same. As I said, I deal in many, many different types of amateur sport. And the ingredients into what makes a good club are fundamentally the same. I wrote this for soccer because it's such a big sport and there's such a big youth component to it. And there seems to be a lot of people needing this book in that particular industry. But if you're um, running a local hockey league and, and you're looking for something, you can absolutely read this book and, and just assume the word hockey for soccer. But I mean... You know, we launched yesterday, Michael. We're so excited and um, and really quite taken aback at the initial response. It's already number one in soccer books on, a, yeah. on Amazon within 24 hours, which is an incredible start. We've had such a positive reaction to it from people saying, finally, this is the book I needed. I've been waiting for this for so long. So, uh, yeah, if people want to go to either either my website, uh, Capitalist, which is www.capitalistconsulting.ca, or www.don'tblamethesoccerparents.com will also bring you to the pages book or just look it up on Amazon it's there waiting to help you out it certainly is Thirty nine ninety five. it's had great reviews so far like just in, in the soccer community on Twitter people that have seen it have, have been raving about it it's just reward I think from the time and the effort that you've put into getting it out here it's a much needed book encourage everyone that is involved in amateur sports in BC or wherever you're, you're listening to the show to check it out it's a much needed thing and I, I think your club will be the, the better for it so thank you so much for joining us today Paul good luck with the book and yeah enjoy chatting to you and hopefully we can chat again soon thanks for having me on Michael it's been a pleasure Book. Here's to write. Will you take a look? 
Some great stuff from Paul Varian there. Don't Blame This Soccer Parents is out now. It was released on December 1st. As Paul mentioned there, it's already the number one seller in soccer books on Amazon. Knocking Arsene Wenger and Ambi Wombach off the top spot. So, I mean, that's pretty good. And I think the reason that the book has been met so well is that this was a void in amateur sports that it just needed somebody to bring out a book that covered all of this. As Paul said, he's often been asked, oh, what would be a good resource to to help with with running a a modern amateur soccer club? It it covers governance, planning, marketing, finance, sales, ITV, program management, technical oversight, everything that you could need to run a successful soccer club. I know there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are involved in the amateur game here in BC and throughout Canada. So check it out. It's $39.95. It's available, of course, on Amazon.ca. But you can also check it directly by going to Capitus Consulting. That's C-A-P-I-T-I-S. CapitusConsulting.ca backslash book. And if you also check out Capitus Consulting, which is Paul's website, there's a lot of good articles in there just regarding amateur soccer in general, how to cope during COVID, and a lot more besides. So check all that out. Check out the book. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Thanks so much to to Paul for joining us. And if you do check it out, let us know what you thought. So because we had Paul on the show this week, and his book is called Don't Blame the Soccer Parents, I thought this gives me the ideal opportunity to play a Wavelength song that kind of ties in with that. We've had this in the bank for a while now, just been waiting for the right time to play it, trying to tie it in with something, so now we can. It's a song by veteran American punk band The Vandals from Orange County in California. They were formed in 1980, but this is a song from their 2002 album, Internet dating super studs, and this is Soccer Mum.
The Vandals there with Soccer Mum from their 2002 album Internet Dating Super Studs. Not really a lot that soccer parents can do just now during this COVID pandemic. Hopefully that will change soon. And in the early stages of 2021, we'll all be back attending football matches just as soon as we can. But that is it for this part. We will be back with the final part of tonight's show, where we're turning our attention back to the Canadian Premier League, and in particular, Forge FC, as we have a look at their disappointing loss in the CONCACAF League quarterfinals and the retiral of one of their defensive mainstays. Former Vancouver Whitecap, former Newcastle United player and Canadian international, David Edgar. And we'll be back with all of that after this. I'm David Edgar and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of this week's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And we're kicking it off in the holiday spirit. Hadn't meant to actually play Christmas songs on every show in the build-up to Christmas. It's just kind of worked out that way now, so we're going to keep it going. And we've kept it local this week. We've gone with a song from Vancouver singer-songwriter Hannah Georges. And a beautiful version there, haunting version, of the classic Let It Snow. And you can find that to buy on the Toronto-based Arts and Crafts label. They've got a Christmas album out featuring a whole host of Canadian talent. Go to artsandcrafts.lnk.to backslash home for the holidays to find out more. So for this part in the show... We're going to be turning our attentions back to the Canadian Premier League of sorts. We're going to be looking at the CPL champions, Forge FC. And there's a couple of big stories coming out surrounding Forge FC this week. One of them was their match in the Dominican Republic in the CONCACAF League. And the other was the retiral of former Whitecap, former Canadian national team player, and a talismanic defender for Forge FC in the last two seasons, or season and a half, I guess, David Edgar. But let's kick things off with a look at the heartbreaking loss that they had on Tuesday night in the, the CONCACAF League quarterfinals. And it was, a, it was a strange one, Zach. Forge dominated the match from start to finish. 1-0 up, thanks to Daniel Crutzen penalty in first half stoppage time. They could easily have been a couple of goals up by that point. They were looking really dangerous at set pieces. They completely took the, the game to Haitian side, Arkea. And 
I, I don't know how they let that one get away from them. It all boiled down to an absolute howler in the 59th minute. Ball is played back to CPL goalkeeper of the year, Tristan Henry. He takes a touch, instead of just kicking it away, decides to take another touch inside. Jolie Coeur closes him down, just sticks a, a foot out, knocks the ball past him, knocks it into the back of the net. It's one all. Forge then dominated for the remaining 31 minutes and seven minutes of stoppage time. The reason there being so much was because they had to zip tie the nets at one point because they had actually come away and they, they spent ages trying to fix the, the goal that Forge were shooting into. But they just couldn't get the job done. And then it went to penalties. And of course, the lottery of penalties, you're getting really nervous at that point. Forge stepped up first. Crutzen, we, we talked in the previous show, what's your penalty technique? Do you put your best guy up first? Forge did that. This time it was saved, as was their second penalty. The Haitian side scored both of theirs. David Edgar, Mobabuli scored two more for Forge. But the Haitians scored all four, one four two in penalties, knocking Forge FC out of contention of winning the overall CONCACAF League. But they've got another bite of the cherry at qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions League proper in 2021. Well, they've actually got two more bites at the cherry. Let, let me just explain that, that to our listeners if they don't know. So basically, the four quarter finalists, whoever won in the CONCACAF League, were going to advance to the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. So that was Saprissa, Arkea, Olympia, and the other Costa Rican side, Alawelenzi which I've probably murdered their name. Yeah, I've murdered their name, but that's the four now. They won the quarterfinals, so they've all clinched spots in next year's CONCACAF Champions League. Now, what that means is the four losers then had to play off, and two of those will also advance into the Champions League. Montagua are going to play Real Esteli in a battle between Honduras and Nicaragua. But Forge FC will now be playing a much tougher game than they had in the quarterfinal. They're travelling to Honduras to play Marathon, who went down to a 2-0 defeat to Saprissa and are one of the strongest teams in the tournament at this stage. That's going to be held on Tuesday night, and that is going to be a really tall order for them, Zach. Yeah, they, they, they really messed up. I mean... I, ne- I mean, I don't, I don't know about you. I can't remember our full conversation on this, but I never rated Henry as the CPL keeper of the year. I thought it should have been uh, the Halifax keeper or even potentially Callum, Callum Irving mm. um, or uh, or our good friend Marco Carducci. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've never rated him that highly. Uh, and I feel bad for him making this mistake, this, this error. But uh, they really messed up. And now... Now you have, I mean, so you had a Canadian side messing up against a Haitian side, which rings yeah. well, bells. And now you have a Canadian side traveling to Honduras <laughs> in, a, in a do or die game. Does that, does that also ring any bells? Oh, no, this is not good omens here. This is, this is setting this up for, for being bad well, news for Forge. I love David Edgar. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to wait to do a postmortem on his career. But I love David Edgar, and obviously I hope that that he wins. Yeah. But, um, but 
I think the odds are are not in their favor, as some would say. No, yeah, but we'll come to Edgar shortly, and we'll we'll talk about his career in this episode as well. But it's very very tough for them now, and I mean the guys they were so down and and deflated after that match. I just want to play a, a little bit of of the post game audio now from Forge FC head coach Bobby Smirniotis, and yeah, just really wondering how that game got away from them. Yeah, obviously this is one that stings, you know, one that we're uh, looking forward to as a, as a game that we're confident uh, coming in just as a group and a game plan on what we had. And I thought we did a lot of good uh, things today. Uh, the goal avoided us and, uh, you know, once in a while uh, the soccer gods uh, turn their head to you and that happened today. So, you know, we have no other choice. You know, tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll wake up and uh, we'll prepare to do it uh, the next way that it's, uh, that it's given to us. That's for sure. That that was a game that you dominated really from start to finish, as you said that the goal just didn't really come for you. What positives though can you take from it, or what learning things can you take from it moving into this kind of next game now? Uh, you know, the the toughest thing is uh, when we look at it. This is uh, we've played two games in the last two and a half months, and this is the third one. Um, so there's some type of rhythm that's always not going to be there, and the toughest thing to do in this game is score goals. Um, we all know that. That's why the score margins in uh, in this beautiful sport aren't uh, nine to eight uh, every game they play. Um, so you know, we just we got to take uh, the football that we played here. Uh, we'll see what the, what the next opponent is, and uh, you know, it's something we're learning to do. We're learning to play uh, after many days off, and uh, you know, now we've got one week, so it's a little bit uh, more of the standard in in football. Gives ourselves a, a week to prepare for what's next, and uh, and we'll go into that, and we'll get our heads up and. Keep on going. On the on the on the on their goal, what did uh, you see, or what? How did Tristan explain it? Or I guess he's just heartbroken. Yeah, it's not something that uh, we're going to explain or, or go over. Uh, you know, he's the first one uh, that knows that uh, you know I could have played uh, quicker there, and you know that's something maybe that's going to happen uh, once in his career. You know, it's uh, it's happened today, and uh, you know some mistakes are made uh, on the field by different players uh, in the game. This one uh, kind of stings, but, uh, you know, he's fantastic. He's a goalkeeper of the year in the Canadian Premier League for a reason. Uh, there's a reason uh, we're champions. There's a reason why we've done what we've done in CONCACAF, and he's a big part of it, you know, and it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, this comes at this uh, this moment, uh, but we've got to look past it. You know, we've got to look past it. We've got another game to get uh, ourselves uh, prepared for, and that's the only thing uh, we can look forward to. Bobby, not that your team needs any motivation, but... Uh the way you lost tonight does that uh, uh does that give them extra motivation to go into that game next week yeah i think so you know it's uh, not all time in moses uh you know we've had a very successful run these past couple of years and and we've had a lot of successes along the way and uh, sometimes this is going to come you know this is uh, this is going to come in sport and you know it came in an unfortunate time for us um and that's what it is you know we go into uh, what will be a tough opponent uh, next week We'll prepare for that. We'll prepare the way we uh, we do for every opponent. Same way this was a tough opponent and uh, it showed on the field. Um, There's their ability to move and show that they're a team week in, week out in this, you know, 13, 14 games into their season. So Forge FC head coach there, Bobby Smyrniotis, chatting just uh, about that heartbreaking quarterfinal loss against Haitian side Arkai. Haitian? Haitian. You mean Haitian? Haitian. I've said Haitian the whole time. I'm sticking with it. Sorry, sorry. It's my accent. I'm just going with that. 
No one else going to notice. All, all, all we can say is the voodoo must have been strong at halftime in that locker room because they, they certainly came good in that second half. Well, they didn't even come good in the second half, but they came good in the end. And now Forge FC have that other bite of the cherry. But if they don't get past Marathon, they've got a third chance to qualify for next year's Champions League when they play off against Toronto in the now-delayed 2020 Canadian Championship game. That is going to be getting played now in January or February, but it looks like February might be the the more likely date for that one. They, They could beat Toronto and get in that way. One bite down, two bites to go. The first of those, as we mentioned, comes on Tuesday night in Honduras against Marathon, and it's certainly not going to be an easy task. Marathon are already right in the midst of their season. They are leading Group B of the Liga Nacional quite comfortably, really. They've got a five-point lead, 26 points from their 13 games, eight wins, two draws, three defeats, 23 goals for and only eight against. So quite a stingy defence that Marathon have put up this season. They've also, as a sort of mentioned they've been banging the goals in their most recent of which a 4-0 game at the weekend against Honduras Progresso so I mean it's tough for Forge they're about to be playing their fourth game in 80 days there's a big 27 day break between their their first game that they won to last week's quarter final and now just a week to this game so I mean it's hard to stay sharp so I'm going to bring you another little bit of audio now This is Forge FC head coach Bobby Smyrniotis again, just talking a little bit about the marathon game on Monday evening. What, uh, same question I ask every time here, what are you seeing uh, from this other team here? Good experienced team uh, in the region. Um, Obviously, they're uh, doing very well in their their local competition here. I had another big uh, win for them. Uh, on the weekend, and uh, they've been doing well. You know, they're a little bit different from what we've seen in some of the other teams that we've uh, competed with um, in CONCACAF League, uh, bringing a little bit more of a physical uh, approach to the game um, from there. But this is a good team that's in uh, well past the mid-season form and is doing well. Uh, but we're confident, you know, we've been able to see a lot about them, um, seeing, you know, what obviously works for them. And uh, like every team, there's opportunities on the field that uh, we need to take advantage of. Just having a look at their their record this year, they haven't given up many goals. I think it's eight goals in their 13 matches. Last week, it was a struggle to, to kind of break down the Haitian side. Obviously, not expecting you to give away all, all your tactical tips, but have you seen a kind of chink in their armour that you might be able to kind of break down from your, your front men? Yeah, of course. You know, you, you always look at that, and I think uh, we're very confident in that. You know, the one thing we know is... Uh, we score every game, and we're going to keep that up uh, tomorrow night. Um, that's something that uh, we've proven over our two years of uh, existence. We've done that uh, in this competition, uh, in the matches uh, that we've played. So we believe uh, that that's there, uh, and it's there in uh, in a very uh, desi- designed manner, based on uh, based on the way uh, we, we play. At the same time, you know, we've done a very good job at the back end uh, with things. So you know, I foresee a, a tight match. You know, two teams playing a little bit uh, different football, um, but we're obviously. Uh, looking to get the goal uh, in the net. I think in their last game, in CONCACAF at least, I don't know about league play, they started the two Argentines up top. Uh, what do you see in those guys? Yeah, two physical bodies. Two guys uh, that like to bang around very good in, uh, in the air, play well in the central axis. So, you know, they've got quality there. Uh, we know where their goals come from. 
you know, uh, run a play, set pieces, different things like that. So I think, you know, they're two, uh, they're two quality strikers. Um, that's, uh, that's with every game that you're going to play at this level right now and uh, with all the, uh, the teams that you're going to compete with. It's what we've seen in all of our matches. It's, uh, there's quality on, on the pitch. Um, but we're confident in our quality. You know, we're uh, obviously uh, doing it a little bit differently than everyone else with this. You know, tomorrow will be our fourth game in uh, 80 days. Um, so that's a little bit different than everyone else, and I think it's a little bit unique to world football uh, what we've uh, what we've done uh, as a club. Uh, and I think uh, to be able to be at this spot, uh, still playing, still playing to uh, qualify for Champions League, it's a it's a massive opportunity for the club, for the players, for everyone involved, and the players know that. I was going to ask you about that, Bobby. I mean, we know how tough it is to to be playing teams that are in the middle of their season when you haven't been playing a game, but. Last week gave you a little bit of taste of action on the pitch. What have you been working on this week in training to try and get the guys up to kind of full match fitness as best as you can? Has it just been lots of really competitive scrimmages and stuff like that? Yeah, to be honest, you just go through a routine of getting through uh, guys through, uh, you know, different uh, aspects of, uh, of the attacking component of the game. I think we're defending well and, and we're doing things. This isn't... Uh, a point uh, in the season where you've got one week where you're going to get the guys to match fitness. You know, it's uh, we are where we are. We have to be smart about these, this game tactically. We have to be smart about how we approach it, um, where we look to attack, uh, how we look to close them down. Um, you know, we don't want it uh, necessarily to be a free-flowing uh, uh, type of game um, back and forth in, in its style. Uh, but we've also shown in this competition, if the game opens up, uh, that it uh, sometimes works to our advantage. So we're ready for, for all aspects uh, from the training end. It's tough. It's tough when you don't have games week in, week out. It's, it's the bottom line. I don't think in world history there's a, a team that's played four uh, games that are so meaningful um, in an 80-day span without playing uh, games in between. Uh, I'd like to uh, see if that uh, exists. And uh, if it doesn't, uh, then maybe we're the, we're the first ones on the books for that. And uh, Somebody else will be able to look at our recipe in the future. Hi, Bobby. Um, I just wondered what kind of frame of mind Tristan's been in in, in training this week and, and how you expect him to respond to what happened in the last game. Yeah, very good. Listen, with, uh, with everyone the day after a game where, uh, you know, you know you have an opportunity to, uh, to clinch a berth in Champions League and keep on going in this competition, obviously there's going to be a, a down period. But I think, you know, after a day, everyone's gotten their heads up. Everyone's working in training. And everyone knows we've got a game ahead of us. You know, you can't look back at, the, at these things. Um, the game uh, itself, it's, uh, you just get back at it. And I think, uh, you know, he's a pro and he's, uh, he's a goalkeeper of the year in the Canadian Premier League. And for me, he's been the best uh, goalkeeper in the Canadian Premier League for uh, two seasons for a reason. He goes out there and he gets his job done. You know, he's been important and instrumental in us doing what we've done over these uh, two years and uh, also what we're doing in CONCACAF League. So I think uh, tomorrow is, uh, is another day where he'll be spot on with what he needs to do. So Bobby, I know you're focused on winning the game tomorrow night, but given the odyssey that your players have been on in Central America, what uh, do you think uh, the effect of all the travel, playing in hostile grounds, etc.? One would think this can only benefit your players in uh, years to come. 100%. You know, that's the one thing uh, that we're getting through competing in this competition last year and this year in this uh, unique way that uh, we've been doing it, training away from home um, because of different uh, things that we've uh, we've had to do. I think it only allows our, our club to be stronger. The one thing we know is we're back in this competition uh, next year in, in CONCACAF League and just being in the different countries, playing in the different stadiums, um, you know, just moving around from one place to another, I think that gives you... Uh, the comfort level uh, to keep on doing this and to keep on gaining, you know, the the necessary 
mentality that's needed to to get through this. And uh, you know, there's uh, there's a big book to be written on this whole uh, journey when it's all over. Forge FC head coach Bobby Smirniot is there just talking about this tough game that's coming up against Marathon. By the time some of you listen to this show, that game will be all done and dusted, but we, we wanted to include that audio in this podcast anyway. All the best to Forge. Fingers crossed they can get the job done. We know we'll all be rooting for you here at AFTN Towers. So they've got two more attempts to get through. So, I mean, that that is something. But if it does boil down to this Toronto game for them clinching that historic first ever place in the Champions League, they're going to have to do it without a man that has been very instrumental to their success for the the last two seasons. And that is centre-back David Edgar. Edgar announced his retirement this week. He was really hoping to go out with a bang by winning that quarter-final game, just making more history with with Forge FC. I really fancied him to actually put one away because he was looking really dangerous at set pieces. And he did come close on a couple of occasions, scored a goal in that penalty shootout as well. He is still going to have one more game, though, before his retiral because he has announced that he's going to retire at the end of 2020. So he is going to play in this game in Honduras against Marathon. So he still has a chance to go out, have a a glorified finish by, by clinching that spot in the Champions League. Now, Edgar is a player that has 16 years in the pro game, starting off his career with Newcastle United in the English Premiership in 2005, Played for a number of teams in England over the years. Burnley, another one of the ones that he spent a number of seasons with. Came back to Canada towards the end of the 2016 season. Spent a season and a bit with the Whitecaps and MLS before going on to play for Nashville, Ottawa, Hartlepool United, and then came over to play in the CPL with Forge FC. Joined them last summer. And as I said, was instrumental in in them winning back-to-back CPL titles. Such a solid defensive presence, a veteran leader on the team, really helped it to organise that back line. And I think he still had a lot left in his his tank, Zach. I mean, I I think he could have gone on. I think he knows he could have gone on. But he, he just feels he wants to concentrate on the coaching side and that this just felt the, the ideal time for him to go. Yeah, I I agree with you that it feels like he could have given a lot more, especially at the the, the Canadian Premier League level. Um, he he's such a you know on a in a time where we're celebrating Alfonso Davies as the Canadian Player of the Year, uh, this young guy going over to a massive club in Europe and making a significant breakthrough. It's hard not to think of you know young David Edgar going to Newcastle. And um, slowly but surely making that breakthrough. Of course, his most famous, or arguably his most famous moment at Newcastle is him playing left back, coming in off the wing and, and firing this low blast to the bottom corner to score, I think, what was a 2-2 equalizer against the mighty men United at the time. Um, and, then he, and then he sort of had a bit of a rise and, uh, and then, you know, like you mentioned, going a whole bunch of different places. But David Egger, the person, I got to connect with him a little bit over the years. He was just a quality, quality person, a good person, good football person to talk to, a person who you could tell loved the game and cared about the game uh, here in Canada. Uh, the first time I remember, I, I, can I tell a couple of stories, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I want us to, to remember 
it sounds like he's dead, but it's like, what what's what's to remember, David? Because like like you, like I've only got good experiences interacting with him over the years. He's been a true gen and a pleasure to speak to. Yeah, he. So um, for me, it was he was a Newcastle player at the time, if I recall, but he was a part of uh, the um, under twenty uh, under twenty uh, two thousand seven World Cup that we hosted here in Canada. And um, so I got to see him play in a couple of friendlies. Uh, one was at Trinity Western. One was at Percy Perry, um, which were, yeah, really interesting. I think, I think I, at least in one of those games, I think Marcus Haber was his center back partner, um, which was really weird. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm the tournament proper. He was one, I think they did rotating captains or something. And he was one of the captains. He was a captain for the last game. I think Will Johnson was a captain for another game. And anyways, I was at the last game. I didn't go to the first two games. They were in Toronto. I got to go to all six of the venues for that tournament. It was an amazing experience. But one of the highlights was going to see Canada play. Uh, now I can't even remember who. Was it Congo? I can't even remember. But anyways, uh, in the stadium, after the game, I went over. We, I think it was a 1-1 tie or a 1-0 loss or something. We were eliminated. Um, but I remember going over by the tunnel and as David uh, went by, I just yelled at him or whatever. And he, he, he took off the arm, but he was a captain of the day. He took off the armband and he like slingshotted it up to me and I caught it. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is great. Like I was so, uh, so excited. And so then I was like, well, I'm going to go around. I know where they're getting on the bus or whatever. So I just kind of went around the stadium after and just waited to see if I could have a word with him. And him and Will Johnson came out. I remember I was with a buddy who was living in Edmonton at the time and uh, got to meet Will Johnson and talk to him. Talk to him, And it was the first time I had a good conversation with Will Johnson. Um, and um, But yeah, David was there and just had a conversation. Uh, and he was just so down to earth. And he, he was there and he had all his boots. He was cradling all his boots that he had from the tournament. And so there were some kids there. And he just started handing out his pairs of boots to, to kids. So... Uh, he handed out like the ones he wore that day. They were six studs because they were playing in Edmonton. And then uh, his last pair of boots, he gave them to me. And there were these, they, they, he didn't wear them in Edmonton. They were like, uh, they weren't the six studs. They were the multi, they were blades, multi blades. that I, I'm pretty sure he wore in the Toronto. They were like red predators. And uh, so I said, Hey, would you sign these? And so, yeah, he signed the boots. He signed the armband. The, the, both of them are still sitting in my office in an Adidas display case. Um, but yeah, I always had a lot of time for him. Then when he came to Vancouver, I was super excited, got to connect with him a little bit. And it was always tragic when he came to Vancouver, that whole preseason hit and run thing in, in, uh, Arizona. Yeah. I re I re it's one of those, it's one of those cases where you're like, what if, you know, if that didn't happen, what would his role have been in the team? Now, maybe it wouldn't have been as big as I would have hoped, um, but what could have his role been? And what could have that meant both for him and even also for Vancouver? Um, but that happened in that, I think he was out the whole year or most of the year. Yeah. And, and then, and then, then they, they brought him in to train and I thought they would sign him and keep him. And then yeah. they, they didn't. And I think that was a mistake. I think they should have. Totally. But, but he, he did want to play more and he wanted to play regularly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's worked out for him great because then he ended up at Forge doing all that stuff with Forge. Yeah. And so now he just, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was sad to see him go. But, um, yeah, happy that he came back and got to be a part of – because even then, I remember, I think we were j joking with him. I don't know if you – I think you were there. When I, I once said to him, I was like, oh, talking to him about the Canadian, Canadian Premier League, because I think it was an early – there was the early mutterings were or, – or the Eastern Report or whatever. 
stuff was happening. And uh, I remember talking to him once and being like, yeah, he's like, yeah, down the road, I'd love to come back and, 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 and help, you know, make that meaningful. And the opportunity was right. And he did. And, and I mean, yeah, he's uh, a two-time champion at the beginning of the, of the, of the start of the league. And I think that'll be special for him. And now, yeah, hopefully he is able to uh, move on into coaching and continue to invest and give back to the game that has given him quite a bit. And um, yeah, he, he's a, he just has a right, the right spirit, the right heart, like just a, a, a quality dude from all my interactions with him and, and the, the people I know that have uh, been close to him as well. I've always spoken very, very highly of him. And so you wish him well and you look forward to see what, uh, where he's going to influence uh, uh, the Canadian game going forward. Yeah, and I think initially that, that could be at Forge, but we'll come to that in a second. What I do for you now is play a, a little bit of audio from David Edgar. And b- before that, we're also going to hear just a, a few words uh, about David from his head coach, Bobby Smyrniotis, just talking about the impact that, that Edgar has had on this Forge team. Then we're going to hear a, a little bit from Edgar himself. This, this was recorded just before that quarterfinal matchup. So he, he's got some interesting stuff to say just about what went into the decision to retire. Why now? And why not hang on and play TFC in the Canadian Championship final? Yeah, what can we say about Eddie? Um, he's been an integral part of uh, this team. You know, this is uh, one big family, one big uh, tight-knit group, and uh, he's been a big uh, part of that since he's uh, he's walked into uh, the team. I, you know, last uh, July and August, and somebody uh, asked me uh, earlier in the day. It's uh, you know, he came in here, he started playing some uh, important matches for us. I think we were in the middle of uh, that 18 uh, game or whatever it was, uh, unbeaten streak. His first games are against uh, Olympia, Cavalry, Olympia. Uh, so you only have one way to go, compete. And uh, that's what he did from, uh, from day one. And I remember having our uh, first conversation and just giving him a little bit of uh, my vision of the club and uh, knowing what I wanted uh, of him on the field. And I think it's been excellent since, uh, since day one. David, I know it's not over yet, but what was the decision-making process in this? Was this something that you had been mulling over for a while? Was there anything specifically that prompted it? And I understand you've started work on coaching uh, uh, credentials. Is that something you'd like to uh, follow through with when the time is right? Yeah, I think um, it's been it's been quite an uphill battle since my injury in 2016. Um, I wasn't really supposed to play again and, and to, to have the career I had post-injury, um, something I'm quite proud of. Um, it wasn't a decision taken lightly, but it's, I think if I look back, it's been, it's been in the making for a while. Uh, now, I mean, I'm 33. I, I've, I've done quite a bit in the game for a kid from Kitchener, Ontario, and uh, it's just pretty special to me to, to be able to finish it in a, in a league that's in my home country that I'm so incredibly proud of. And you know what? It's, at my age, it's it's time for that league to be used for the youngsters coming through. And, and if I can play a part in, in helping them in any way, then I've done my job as, as a Canadian player. What was the decision-making process in this? Was this something that you had been mulling over for a while? Was there anything specifically that prompted it? And I understand you've started work on coaching uh, uh, credentials is that something you'd like to uh, follow through with when the time is right 
Yeah, I think um, it's been it's been quite an uphill battle since my injury in 2016. Um, I wasn't really supposed to play again, and, and to to have the career I had post injury, uh, something I'm quite proud of. Um, it wasn't a decision taken lightly, but it's, I think if I look back, it's been it's been in the making for a while. Uh, now, I mean, I'm 33. I, I've I've done quite a bit in the game for a kid from Kitchener, Ontario, and uh, it's just pretty special to me to, to be able to finish it in, in a league that's in my home country that I'm so incredibly proud of. And you know what? It's at my age, it's it's time for that league to be used for the youngsters coming through. And, and if I can play a part in, in helping them in any way, then I've done my job as, as a Canadian player. Looking at what you've achieved with Forge, it's obviously, it's like a storybook story really going there, everything that's been achieved, everything that you've won, you've got one, maybe two big games ahead of you. What would it mean to you on a personal level to have, to go out winning a place for a Canadian club in the Champions League, first time that that's ever been done? I mean, I think you you guys know how, how important that would be to me, on a personal level, of course, but for this group of players and this this club and and this backroom staff who have put endless hours of work into it and i know what it means to to this young group um and you know again for them it would be it'd be unbelievable and obviously on a personal note to to play a small part in history for canadian football and just to see the game grow in in our country is is what means most to me just to to ask why why I know you touched on why you've decided to do it now, but was there not a little part of you that wanted to hold on and just play TFC in that Canadian Championship final? It's a massive part that wanted that. Um, I just know me as a person, and I know that with it, it was just kind of written in the stars that create a little bit of history, hopefully here, and then have that clean break. And that's the reason I decided to announce it because I know myself because if I hold on for that, um, which I would love to, and I'd love to have a crack at that. But if I was to hold on to that, I know whenever that would be, February turns into March, which turns into April, and then I played another season. So that's just the type of person I am. So that's the reason I've decided to to make that clean break. And and I know the next chapter of my career, which is I really uh, have been, I've been really building myself towards. Uh, I can't really fully commit to that while I'm I'm a professional because I put so much into my day to day as as a professional footballer. So those are the reasons. Forge management say it's important to them to retain you in a meaningful capacity with the organization. Uh, talk to anything about co- joining a coaching staff or, or anything like that? No, we've, uh, listen, it's been completely 100% focused on the game. I appreciate the club's support and, and, and helping me with the announcement and what they've done. It's just been absolutely fantastic for me since I've been here. So we, that's, that's, that's a conversation for another day after we're, we're in the Champions League. Um, and we have, a t- we have a chance to debrief. I mean, this has been the longest, shortest season anyone's ever had. Uh, the amount of traveling we've done, the amount of quarantine we've done, the planes, the buses, the train sessions in different, cars, different parts of the world. I think everyone wants to win, qualify, and have a little break. And I think that's the main thing. And I'm looking forward to spending Christmas with my family as, as a, a retired footballer. David Edgar there with a few words as well from Forge FC head coach Bobby Smyrniotis. So, I mean, the interesting thing there, Zach, I asked David, why not wait and play TFC in the Canadian Championship final 
and then hang up your boots. So, I mean, very, very honest answer. It's what I ex- expected him to, to basically say. He knows if he plays in that game, he'll think, oh, I could maybe just do pre-season with him. Then that turns into the, the whole season. And football is in his blood. And it would then be harder and harder to hang up your boots. You kind of have to make a decision and stick to it. That's why he said the end of 2020. I mean, we wish him nothing but the best. We'll, we'll sit down and, and have a, a good chat with him next year as well. Just a, a career retrospective, which I'd actually hoped to do this off-season just before the Island Games. I mean, it, we weren't able to get that sorted out. So we'll definitely do that with David next year. As to what his future might be, Forge have said they really want to keep him in the fold at Forge. So maybe you're looking at some kind of assistant manager's role there. If they start to launch maybe some academy or, or youth teams through the Forge system, maybe work a little bit with Sigma, obviously, with, with Bobby's connections there. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that if Bobby Smyrniotis moves on in a season or two, David Edgar could be the guy that then moves into being the head coach at Forge FC as well. So I think that's maybe the succession planning that, that Forge are looking for. But wherever he goes, he's got that experience, he's got that passion, and he's just got that personality that like young players, they're just going to learn so much from him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think Forge would be wise uh, to keep him there because, I mean, uh, there are other things... Uh, sorry, other potential realities too. I mean, which you soon will get ironed out sooner rather than later. But there's even some speculation that you know is Toronto FC going to look at look at someone like Bobby Smirniotis to fill the the boots of of Greg Vanny, right? I think it's a long shot. And I don't think he's going to leave right in the midst of 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 uh, you know this game coming up against Toronto. Yeah. Toronto, but I have heard his name bandied about. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned in the, the last podcast that his was the first name that I thought of. I was like, oh, this looks a good fit for Bobby. But then the talk seems to be they want an experienced guy, a guy that's done it in MLS. And then the grand scheme of things, Bobby's still pretty inexperienced. He really has just two full seasons in the pro game. He's done fantastic. He's got a great record at Sigma. It would be a bit of a risk for TFC at this stage with the money that they've spent, the investment that they've got, the players that they've got. I I mean, I'd like to see it. Another interesting one to throw at you though, Zach, Edgar, he's from Kitchener in Ontario. There's always rumours that there's going to be a CPL side in Kitchener with KW United and stuff. That could be a perfect fit depending on when Kitchener does get a team. Yeah, they've had uh, some good supporters there too uh, who are longing for that to happen. So I I could see that. And, uh, yeah, when you talk about Bobby to Toronto, and I agree, I haven't listened to that part of the podcast yet, but um, I agree I agree that, yeah, he is on the inexperienced side. However, uh, he has this solid track record with youth players. He has the beginning of, uh, you know, uh, of, of his professional career has started very well uh, in a unique environment, uh, and you know the second season obviously being unique, um, and look at what look look at what Greg Vanny. I mean, they, they brought Greg Vanny in to be their whatever was their youth coach or whatever, and then yeah. promoted him. And so, it, in some ways, it, it would follow that same kind of vein. Although I, I think you're right, I don't think it's likely to be him. But he the thing though, when Vanny was appointed, they were a mess and they hadn't won anything. Now yeah. they've got success. 
Yep. So you have to then build in that, otherwise it's seen as a backward step. I mean, mm-hmm. since we're talking about that, obviously I never got a chance to to chat to you in the last episode about that. What what was your thoughts with, with Vanny stepping down? Uh, yeah, in part, I mean, in one, in one sense, you're, it's surprising. But in another sense, I think that there's a bit of a, there's going to be some pretty drastic changes in the, in the squad coming. And I think uh, those things, uh, plus the, this is probably going to be at least a partial pandemic season for MLS. So I don't think it's easy on your life and on your family. And I don't know, I haven't followed the news, but I'm assuming he's going to land at, at the LA Galaxy. Yeah, you have to think so. Be home closer to family and be in a nicer place or weather-wise for your family if they're stuck without you. I mean, it, it's that is a marriage made in heaven. The Galaxy, a team that badly need a, an experienced manager that knows how to win an MLS. Vanny, an experienced manager that knows how to win an MLS, played for the Galaxy for, for I think, five seasons. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's perfect. And yep. Concerning for the Whitecaps, because obviously that's a, another team outside of the playoffs that you have to then would, would think would be really pushing hard next season to get in it. But yeah, I mean, I I liked speaking to him this year. He he was a great guy to, to chat to. He had a lot of good insight. He was a, one of those coaches that liked to expand on, on stuff a lot. So, I mean, wherever he, he ends up, they're, they're going to end up with a, a, a good good coach. He was always really good with the media. Yeah. yeah. Just to round this part off, just to, to say we wish David Edgar all the best. As Zach and me have both said, he's always been a, a pleasure and a gentleman to, to deal with and to speak to over the years. And I just hope that he can go out with a real bang. If Forge can get past Marathon on Tuesday, that is going to be an absolutely amazing achievement. Yeah. But I mean, even if they don't, to go out with back-to-back championships, I think when it's a long story career like that, that's the way to go. You want to end your career on a high. All the best to David in his next chapter, whatever that might be. And we look forward to talking to him soon. That is it for tonight's jam-packed show. Just before we go, though, let everyone know where they can find you online, Zach. Uh, for me uh, on Twitter, it's at ZacharyAM. I'm Michael McCall. You can give me a follow on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And please go to our YouTube channel and give us a like and a subscribe at youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We've got a couple of fun things that we might try out on our YouTube channel just in the lead up to Christmas. So stay tuned for that. Until next time, though, thanks for listening. Take care. And more Canadian soccer. When you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the world service of a Saturday afternoon, frankly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, pipe for dad, mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?